Need they'd to. have to slather the makeup on me we're live uh all right everyone welcome to political head trauma where if head trauma had a podcast this it would sound like this um today uh, we have trent christensen coming on at uh three o'clock he's running for our attorney general um it'll be good to chat with him tell us a little bit about yourself yeah and from and a little bit about why you decided to run for attorney general in the state of Utah. I appreciate that. Thank you for the question. So I'm from Utah, grew up in Utah, um, went to BYU. I did my mission in Chile, came back, went to BYU, went to BYU Law School, graduated magna cum laude, went back east, practiced law for a while. I did uh, complex business litigation. I protected companies that were being sued by the federal government, worked at a law firm. I filed briefs in front of the Supreme Court, appellate courts. I did that for a number of years. But then I came back to Utah and I've been um, I've had that experience, the litigator experience that I think you need if you're going to be an attorney general. But I've also had a different kind of experience that I think is really valuable and necessary for an attorney general. I've been a CEO. I'm the only member of the only candidate in this race that's had that kind of experience, been a CEO. I've run a company. You know, I've, I've made payroll. I've had to make hard decisions, you know, uh, regarding personnel, things like that. Done that for a number of years. I'm currently general counsel for a tech firm. It's based up in Farmington. It's called Omnitech. We do, we do predictive oh, yeah. AI with the military, with Hill Air Force Base, and with a number of defense contractors. And the reason I see those two things are both kind of important is, listen, the attorney general's office is 600 people and 300 of them are attorneys. And those aren't always the easiest people to deal with, right? And if someone <laughs> comes in and they're a litigator, which a lot of people have some litigation experience, but they don't have the leadership experience to match it, that office, you're not gonna run that office. That office is gonna run you. And so I'm coming in saying, I have a vision I have the experience, but that's in the past. I have the experience for the future and the vision for the future of what I want the office to be. So I, I was approached a couple of years ago about running for this office and I'd been thinking about it for a while. And the trigger for me was September of last year when I finally said, okay, that's it, I'm getting in. Um, there was a member of the legislature that floated the idea of making the attorney general's office an appointed position under the governor, taking the voice away from the people and giving it to the governor. And you're seeing that in, in a lot of instances where other things, instead of being popularly elected, are becoming appointments. And it's just consolidation of power under the executive branch. And it was right then that I knew I had to get in this race because the attorney general is the single most important check against the other branches of government that citizens have in a state. It's different than the federal government, but in a state, they need that attorney general as a check against the governor, as a check against the legislature and the judiciary branch. It's also a check against the federal government and, and a check against the counties, right? To make sure that everybody's doing their jobs correctly. But it takes somebody who's willing to stand up, take a punch, throw a punch and do the right thing, no matter the outcome. And so I decided to get in the race because I believe the attorney general needs to be that check against power that the citizens need, even if it means being a check against the power of my own office for the benefit of the people. A steady journey journal has to be the attorney for the people, not for the state. And that's a different mindset that I bring. I'm not the attorney that's gonna that's gonna implement the vision and the and the agenda of the state. I'm gonna make sure that individual rights are protected first against the power of the state. That sounds great. Now, a lot of people in this state don't understand exactly what an attorney general does because you will not only represent the people, right. you represent businesses, mm -hmm. you represent law enforcement. You have to be the top law dog in the state. So you've got to work well with law enforcement. Right. And then you're up Who's beeping? Is that that's, your phone or my phone? That's his phone. Is that me? All right. It's you, yeah. I think. Let me turn <laughs> that off. But 
you also have to be the top law person. And we've got a prosecutor in Salt Lake County that loves, has not met a, a law enforcement officer who won't try to convict of something. Right. And there's a lot of business aspects where you are working to, to help businesses. There's a lot of citizen aspects mm -hmm. and law enforcement has to be able to go to you with, with issues right. and have your support and back you at the same time. So does citizens, so does the state, so does legislature. Right. So will you give people a basically a elevator speech about what the duty is of the attorney general in Utah? Right. No, I, I really appreciate that. And I found that a lot. I'll tell you, I when I told my kids I was running for attorney general, I was like, you guys know what that is? And they said, you're the most important of the attorneys. And I was like, um, yeah, no, but okay. Yeah, sure. So I needed to, you know, do my job in my house, make sure my kids understood what this job is. And, and a lot of people have those questions. And I think you put it perfectly, Holly. I think the attorney general, first and foremost, is the top cop. Okay. And has to be, and has to fill that role of making sure that law enforcement has the resources, but also the backing of the state that they need. Okay. And, and to me, top cop means two things. First off, it means that there has to be a relationship between the voice of the people and the AG's office. And by voice of the people, I mean those that are popularly elected. There's only one kind of law enforcement in the state that's popularly elected, and those are the county sheriffs, okay? Every other state law enforcement, state police, highway patrol, whatever it is, um, whether it's, you know, um, you know a, a police force that's, you know, run by a regulatory agency, cities that hire their own police forces, the county sheriffs are the only ones that get elected. And as I've gone around and talked to all the different county sheriffs, what they feel is I'm not supported by the state, which to me means that the people aren't supported by the state because it's the county sheriffs that put those, excuse me, the people that put the county sheriffs in power, right? They've come to me and said, we've got problems with X, Y, and Z. And all we get from the state is, you know, the state will send us cases and say, hey, prosecute this. We're not going to do it. Prosecute that. We're not going to do it, right? So the, the county sheriffs don't feel like there's an advocate for them in the attorney general's office. And if there was, you'd be able to coordinate resources, you'd be able to coordinate these cases and make sure that the sheriffs understand if they're doing their job and I'm doing my job, that they're gonna have the resources they need to make sure that the law is actually enforced, okay? And that's the first thing when I, when I say top cop, you have to make sure that there's a relationship between those county sheriffs and, and the attorney general. But there's always, you'll get jurisdictional disputes, right? Where the county sheriffs, you know, say one thing and state law enforcement wants another, or you got the county sheriffs sort of pitted against some regulatory agencies. Like you said, you know, businesses pitted against the regulatory agencies. And what I've said to the sheriffs is first, last, and always, I'm going to listen to you because again, you're the voice of the people. That's why I got in the race because, you know, there were legislators that wanted to take the voice of the people away as it related to the attorney general, right? So you talk to the sheriffs, you make sure you understand their positions on things, and then you coordinate and say, this is what we're going to listen to. I'm going to listen to everybody. But when there's a jurisdictional dispute, when people are confused, who's got the right of way on this, it's going to start and end with the sheriffs. And, and if you do that, you're going to be able to say, there's, let me back up a step. There's several counties in which I've heard that, you know, um, they've had some issues within the county. Maybe there's, you know, some accusations of embezzlement or this and that. And they ask the state to help come intervene. The state's not interested. The state doesn't want to look at it. And so they try to kick it to another county. That county's not interested in, in, in helping. So there's there's no oversight of what's happening in the counties. And when there's no oversight, human behavior just is that, you know, if, if nobody's looking over your shoulder, people start to, you know, do whatever they do. They, they sort of treat it like their own kingdom, their own fiefdom, right? And it would only take once of an attorney general stepping in and saying, stop, 
we're not going to do this. We're going to enforce the law. And the other, any, anyone else doing things like this in the counties would realize, oh, okay, we got a new sheriff in town, right? Somebody that's going to oversee the counties, be their partner, right? But also set a good boundary. They say that good fences make good neighbors, right? And if you, if you're working with the legislature and you're saying, look, I want to partner with you and let's do everything we can for the will of the people, but don't cross this line. Because you cross this line and then we have to have a different relationship. Same thing with the governor, right? Same thing with the counties. This is what we're going to do to work together. You cross this line and we're going to have a different relationship. But as long as we're within our boundaries, we're going to have a fantastic relationship and we're going to enforce the law for the people. So can you boil down for some of those specifics that you've heard where um, where different constituencies have tried running projects up and it's been pushed off? Can you give us some examples on that? Yeah, there's a, uh, a case in Carbon County. There's a case we were out in Uinta last night, out in Vernal, where there's been discussions of, look, there's been um, investigations, full 50-page investigations that have been produced saying X, Y, and Z is happening. There's some embezzlement. There's improper use of funds, okay? And it needs to be investigated. Well, in our system, the only person that can then investigate that is the attorney, right? The sheriffs, they do the investigation. They give it to the, the attorney. If the attorney's not willing to look at it, that sort of ends it right there. I mean, prosecutors have discretion to take a case or not take a case. And in that way, they can act a lot like a judge, right? If they decide not to take a case, case is over, okay? And so yeah. when that happens in a county system, there's no one else to take that. So they've kicked it up to the attorney general's office and said, okay, there's this, will you look at it? And the attorney general's office, at least in the cases that I've heard, has, has said, you know, um, either they've claimed that there's a conflict of interest and they can't get involved, or they've said that's not something we're going to get involved in. The, the authority exists to get involved, to, to prosecute it, to look into it further, to investigate it further, but they've just said no. And so in some of those cases, counties can partner together and they can say, well, you know, maybe we can kick it to this county attorney and see if they want to help investigate. Um, you know, and, and it's just been something where the, the other counties in the state haven't been willing to prosecute, haven't been willing to step in and say, okay, let's see what's going on here. And I'm not claiming anyone's at fault. I haven't looked at the details, right? But what I am saying is there needs to be a partnership where state attorney general is open and willing and capable of looking into those cases so the people in the counties know they have recourse when when you know when their system they don't feel like their system is addressing their needs and right now that if, if the county system doesn't address their needs there's nowhere else to go well that's a good point well i know that um our our current attorney general has worked tirelessly and is prepared long mm. A long time to actually go to DC and the Supreme Court and yeah. talk federal lands. Yeah. Um, how informed are you on the federal land issue, especially for rural Utah counties like ours, counties like Washington County, Box Elder? Yeah. We, I mean, 80, 88, 88 county is owned by the federal yes. government. And yet right. other states have no idea what we're talking about. But, you know, yeah. I was told by Herbert years ago that we need to have the presidency. The House and Senate before we dare take a bite of this apple because you only get one bite. And yet our state, and I know Sean Reyes has been preparing for that for that uh trial. Mm -hmm. What are you doing? Uh, just opening up the and with box. that in mind, we're yeah. going to have I mean, when we've had the president, the the Senate and the Congress, we haven't done anything. And yeah. if it AG comes in, how prepared is that office? I know the office is amazing. I know yeah. a lot of the employees in there, they're fantastic attorneys. Um, I'm wondering how how much do you know about the federal land issue and 
you know, what would you do in that scenario? Would you go for it? Yeah. You have to wait yeah. for the doctor to tell you to go for it. Like, how does that work? <laughs> if there's no other message that gets across in this podcast, it's that the attorney general does not have to and should not ever wait for permission from the governor to do anything. Okay. If the attorney general isn't willing to walk in on day one and just go to war, then that person should not be attorney general. Okay. They do not need to coordinate with the governor. They shouldn't have to coordinate with the other, but it would be great if they could, right? Again, it's, it's an approach where you say, I'd love to have the governor's help and, and, and provide and present a unified front. Okay. But it doesn't have to be that way. The attorney general can just, like I said, go to battle for the rights of the people. Um, and so to your point, there's at least, and, and I want to give Sean Reyes some credit here to your, to your point, Holly, he's done a lot of work. Okay. He's, he's done a lot of work and he set the stage for rural Utah to win these, these court battles. There's 60, at a minimum, 60 ongoing federal cases right now that the state has filed and that they're, uh, did I do that? Was that me? <laughs> do you see that? There's a little thumbs up thing. I don't know if that was me. Um, 60 ongoing cases. There's 60 ongoing cases right now in federal court filed by our attorney general's office that deal with public lands and rural Utah issues. I mean, there's grazing rights that are being litigated right now. I don't think, you know, the vast majority of people along the Wasatch Front don't understand the actual imp economic impact of grazing rights and what that means and, and how that can affect the state as a whole. Um, there's lawsuits that involve access to trails, right? I recently learned the other day that our dirt tourism, right? You know, the national parks, everything that happens Southern Utah, throughout rural Utah provides more revenue by far than skiing. But if we're not fighting these, these battles and we're not, we're not fighting to make sure that we still have access to trails, that the, that the federal government isn't taking over this land and then them dictating what's happening on our land, we lose that revenue source. And, and if it's not happening along the Wasatch Front, a lot of times the people along the Wasatch Front just simply don't understand it or don't care about it, right? And so I'm not going to claim that I understand all the details, but I know that there is a vast number of cases right now that the current attorney general and his office, really good attorneys, have put forward to protect public lands. And the next attorney general has to be willing to step in and fight those fights as if they are life and death. I'll give you another example. In Uinta, out in the basin, um, there's jurisdictional disputes over the, of the, over the water rights. But because it's not along the Wasatch Front, because it's along what some people call the Wasatch Back, People don't pay attention to it, right? The attorney general, you know, others may not be sending the A team. They're sending the B and the C team to go litigate those cases. Well, you need to send the A team because if we lose that battle over the jurisdictional rights of that water, that's game over. Yeah. And that affects everybody. It affects the Wasatch Front, the entire state, okay? And, and so it's, it's less a matter of understanding the minute details and more a matter of understanding the priority, right? The priority has to be to understand what's going to benefit or hurt the people the most. And you got to put the best resources to fight those court battles for the grazing rights, for the dirt tourism, for the water rights that are happening all along the state. They may not be the most visible. That's not going to get you the most clicks or the most, you know, whatever it is in, in the media, but it's what's best for the people. And I want to say this to your question. If, if the attorney general's focus is to get attention, then their focus probably won't be to fight those fights. And then the only reason the attorney general wants attention is if they're looking to run for a future office. They want to be governor or senator. It's not what I want to be. I don't want to be governor. I don't want to be senator. I want to serve for attorney general for two terms and then be done. And because that's my focus, I can, I can focus exclusively on what the most important issues are, regardless of whether it's along the Wasatch Front or along the, you know, within the rural areas, because that's where it's going to be the most benefit to the people. And that's what I'm going to do in the eight years that I'm attorney general. Excellent. Sounds good to me. I'm curious about the water rights issue. I feel like Utah 
is asked to give more than other states. Um, mm. And I'm wondering, like, when is Utah going to just, just put their foot down, yeah. have California build their own reservoirs? And <laughs> I mean, they're the ones who want to go all electric. Yeah. When is Utah going to hang on to the resources that we're allotted and that belong to us? Yeah. Giving, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a jerk and say, no, you guys should not have right. water, but it's a constant, it's a constant nudge, a little closer, a little more, a little more, a little more. And at what right. point do we say, Hey, let's, let's just, we've got 3 million people now. And that's over the, we've got a million people over the course of 20 years. Yeah. What yeah. another 20 years going to look like mm -hmm. and how prepared are we? Well, and, and this gets back to your earlier question that I want to circle back to your earlier question. And it relates to this was, you know, when's the right time, right? Should we just go for it? Because people said you only get one bite at the apple. I don't, I don't necessarily believe that. I see their point when they're saying, look, you don't want to take your shot and miss, right? So you want to be prepared and take your best shot. But to say you don't get, you know, two bites of the apple, you know, you can, you can file these, these lawsuits multiple times, right? And, and you can fight these fights across different fronts. And this water issue is one of them, right? It, you, you, there's a lot of different ways to split this. There's been different agreements among the states about how to use the water out of the Colorado River and other things, right? And so there needs to be negotiation. There needs to be diplomacy. But at the same time, there has to be an attorney general willing to put his foot down and say, no, this is how we're going to do it. And whether we have to sue another state or sue the federal government, but it, but it takes a proactive long-term strategy approach to it. And it, it kind of makes me come back to my point about it's not just about litigating. Okay. Litigation is about strategy. And the person that's sitting in, in the, in the attorney general's office, it's a little more like being a George Washington and directing the battle than actually in the trenches fighting the battle every day. You have to be able to do both. You have to see the long-term strategy of what you're doing and you have to be able to direct the ongoing day-to-day, -day, you know, tactical affairs of the office. And so, you know, water, like you said, it's going to be an issue today, tomorrow, in 30 years from now, it's just going to keep being an issue. And so working with the public, working with the legislature, understanding the demographic shifts and how that's going to affect us, re-examining the agreements we've entered into with other states, and then seeing what the federal government's doing, what other states are trying to do, and mapping out our strategy and where we're going to have to enter into litigation and be prepared for litigation versus when we're going to be able to negotiate with other states, right? But it's this ongoing um this ongoing effort. It's not, we're going to solve it tomorrow with a lawsuit. It's, you know, make sure that we understand what the demographic shifts are going to be. So in 10 years from now, we're prepared to fight that battle again, because, you know, there's not going to be more water, but there are going to be more people moving in. And so we you have to be proactive in understanding what the strategy needs to be tomorrow, next month, next year, and 10 years from now. That's a really good point. I, I'm always wondering, you know, uh, when crimes happen in this state, mm. And there is, let's say, a crime has happened yeah. and a police department handles it one way and the family, the victim, is doesn't feel like it's being, or let's not say a police department, because I know police departments put all the evidence together. Right. They take it to prosecutors and prosecution is decided by them and not the department. Yeah. And so they could have a great case put together, but a prosecutor won't prosecute. Mm. How does the attorney general come in and help the victim maybe get some some is is that something an attorney general can get involved in yeah. and help one yeah absolutely one of the things that i want to establish that i have in my plan that i want to put forward as attorney general is instituting some prosecutorial reforms um and part of that is to set up an office within the attorney general's office that allows people victims recourse when they don't feel like they've been hurt and and i want to do this across agencies right you know dcfs is a good example of one in which you know 
I, I know a lot of cases in which parents um, uh, feel like they don't have recourse. But in this specific example that you gave, you know, have an office, have a division that's set up to say, look, this was my case. This was the evidence. I don't feel like I was heard. The prosecutor didn't want to take my case and review those. OK, um, there's a lot that can be done to make sure that that uh, that prosecutors are doing their job correctly. Um, and I have a lot of faith in the prosecutors and the attorney general's office and across the state. But there's a problem in my mind with the incentive structure that prosecutors are given. OK, if, if I start as a prosecutor on day one and I know that, you know, I want to rise in the ranks in the office and I want a promotion and I eventually want to be a, you know, a head of a division. You know, my incentive is to get convictions. That's it. I rise and fall by the number of convictions that I get. And so if I look at a case and I don't think I can get a conviction, I either don't take it or I try to plea bargain it. Right. I only take those cases and it's just incentive. It's just human nature. A prosecutor will only take the cases that they think they can win because that's how they're judged for future raises, right, for future promotions. And so we need to change. I mean, prosecutors are humans. You need to change the incentive structure. Humans react to incentives, both positive and negative incentives. So changing the incentives by which an, a prosecutor gets a raise. There's been cases where, for example, uh, a prosecutor's, you know, he's, he's going after a conviction, but he finds exculpatory evidence. He finds evidence that would show that the defendant actually didn't do what the prosecutor's claiming he did. It's right. their legal duty and ethical duty to turn that evidence over to the other side. But there's been cases where that hasn't happened. And there's been cases where that hasn't happened because it doesn't benefit the prosecutor. They have a disincentive to do that. So if an attorney general can come in and change the incentive structure and give them actually like, you know, give them points for saying, hey, you did the right thing. You followed the law. Then you're going to see prosecutors who have the incentive to do the right thing over time. Right. But then there's a negative incentive. Um, right now, you know, a judge makes a wrong decision. Maybe it gets appealed. Maybe it doesn't. It's really expensive to appeal in a decision of a judge. And maybe uh, to your point, maybe a, a victim or a plaintiff doesn't have the resources to appeal that decision. What do they do? They have no recourse, right? And so what I want to do is set up essentially what you would see in a business context where you've got, you know, so many prosecutors, every single one of them knows that, you know, they're going to be three of them picked at random in any given, in any given year, for example, and their caseload is going to be taken and there's going to be a spot check. They're going to pull five cases out of that prosecutor's caseload and they're going to review it. You know, an independent agency will review it and say, did you follow the law? Did you follow the process? Did you turn over exculpatory evidence? and review the entire case and then give a grade. How did you do? And if a prosecutor knows, hey, I now get rewarded for doing the right thing. And there's the possibility that my caseload is going to get audited and they're going to see that I didn't do the right thing. You're going to have prosecutors much more willing to take the cases they need to take and follow the law and make sure that everyone's rights are being protected while they vigorously enforce the law. I think we need to do it with judges too. pull a random selection of cases from judges and say, OK, did that judge follow the law? Did they follow the process? Were constitutional rights protected? And have that office in charge of making sure that those rights were protected with some teeth to say if they weren't protected, then there's going to be X, Y, and Z consequences. Because again, it's so, it, please go ahead. Who funds that? Who Who's going to get you that money for your department to create something like well, the that? Legislature. And that's why you have to build those relationships with the legislature, right? Like when Sean started the division that's that's handling sex trafficking, child trafficking, Right. He was able to draw some of the money from the budget because what what he did is he took people that already specialized in those areas, pulled them out of their existing divisions and then created a new division. So he kind of moved them over. But he also went and got some new funding for the legislature specific from the legislature specifically to give them the resources they needed to, to do a deep dive in that area and to prosecute the violations of that law. 
And so if I'm going to the legislature saying, I want to partner with you, we want to protect rights of people and we're going to create this new division, there's going to be some resources that they need to put towards that. But I think, this, oh, please. This could be called criminal justice reform. Absolutely. And it's something that the state needs. We need to make sure that every person, black or white or gray, whatever, is getting fair justice. So there's not a two-tier justice system and that victims are being advocated for mm -hmm. just as much as... Um, you know, one case to you may make sense, but it may not make sense in a rural community where right. they don't have the funds prosecuted or right. you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Maybe it's a sticky case all the way around. Yeah. I, I yeah. like this idea. Do we have internet access? Yeah, we're back up. Can we make the Trent, switch? Yeah, Trent, go ahead and tell us about your website real quick yeah. while we switch over to our We're going to change studio. so we get back in the studio. Very the good. So my so website can get to know you. Yeah. My website's trentchristensen.com. I'd love everybody to come visit. It has a place where you can put your name, your email address, your phone number in. You can get updates on the campaign and you can volunteer. You know, we can come bring yard signs to your house, bring flyers. Um, it also has links to all my social media accounts, uh, Facebook, Twitter, X, uh, Instagram. Um, love for everybody to come get involved, ask me questions, engage on Facebook. I love having conversations with people. That's how I get to know really what's happening out in the rural areas. Um, so I'd love for people to come and engage trentchristensen.com um, and then Trent Christensen AG across all the social media platforms. I'm going to, I'm going to pop your website up, Trent. Hang on here. Here, here it comes. Uh, Trent Christensen. Thanks, How about this? Can you see that? I cannot. Here it comes. Okay. Here we go. There it is. Oh, there it was. Now, now you can see there it. There it is. There, there it is. Now you can see it. Yeah. <laughs> Those are my kids. Yep. And then you can see along the top, you know, where you can engage with us, um, some biographical info. We're going to have some policy um, policy positions up there. But more than anything, um, if you want to scroll back up for just a second, Dwayne, um, Holly, you asked at the beginning, you know, why did I decide to do that? And that, that picture right there shows you four reasons why I decided to do that. My kids are 18, 14, 18, 16, 14, and 12. And, um, they're going to live in this state. We love this state. You know, I, I hope someday I'll have <laughs> grandkids. They're going to live in this state. But I need to make sure that this state works for them and for your kids. That a, Holly, to your point, that a crime that's committed in Salt Lake by someone who has the money to, to hire the attorneys isn't prosecuted any differently than someone who does it in another county who doesn't have the money to, to hire the, the defense attorneys to protect them, right? There can't be a two-tier justice system. It has to be one set of rules, the rule of law for everybody. And that's what I want to do as attorney general. And But let me, let me take that a step further, right? We're talking about criminal justice reform. That has to happen across all levels of government. I'll give you an example. There was a there was a an, an office that was supposedly started by the governor, and it was supposed to be just this. It was supposed to be an office where if someone had an issue with what was happening at the executive branch, they could go to this office and file a complaint. And it was it was billed as this is going to be transparent. This is going to be open government. This is going to give people recourse. Um, and a year later, a reporter went and called the number of that office and got a got a you know disconnected dial went and looked, there was nobody there. The website was down and it just had never been set up. There was only two out of the four, five board positions that had been filled. It was just, again, it's kind of political kabuki theater. Nobody's actually doing the job of overseeing what government's doing for the benefit of the people. And the attorney general's office can and should be doing that. So you're telling me that the governor made the promise of this office kind of 
started the foundation of it and then the office died on the vine that wasn't announced it wasn't told to anyone it just yeah it just went into ether i mean i want to be fair when it was brought up that only two of the five board positions had been filled they quickly filled the other three and 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 whatnot i don't know you know if it's now up and running um but I mean, again, it was a year later that this reporter went and and tried to dig into this a little bit, and there was just nothing there. And so, you know, Holly, you mentioned a, a two-tier justice system. Well, you know, what about that's just in criminal justice? What about in state government? Like, what recourse do the citizens have? And I say this all the time to people. You know, if you get crossways with DCFS or the Division of Securities, right? I I mentioned I was a CEO. I ran a venture accelerator for three years, and we would have people all the time. That were just trying to raise money for their for their business made a simple mistake and all of a sudden now they've got a felony record because the division of securities came in just slammed down the law on them when when they could have just helped them understand the law right and now you've got people that are you know all they were trying to do is raise money for their company but they made a simple mistake and what recourse do they have that's the question i keep asking what is the recourse that people have in the state and it's usually one of two things you either hire a very expensive attorney and you defend yourself or you roll over and take it you get a department like the ATF who overnight decides that certain, you know, things are banned or illegal and turn people into felons overnight yeah. um, yep. right there. Is that the attorney general we go to? Because I know our local sheriffs can can stop the ATF from coming in the county. But if the attorney general says this is not going to be tolerated, the ATF has no ability to write laws and right. that belongs to the Senate. And if you are, I mean, if our AG stands firm on things, I think we've got a great AG in Texas right now who's kind of standing up to the federal government. That's and right. I'd like to see that happen, especially yeah. where guns are concerned. I mean, well, Utah is a is a constitutional carry state. Yes, it is. Yep. And, and here's my point to that. Um, yes to the sheriffs and yes to the attorney general. Like if we could present an actual unified front where the sheriffs are stopping the ATF from coming in, but they know that the AG has their back, right? They know that they're, you know, they're going to be supported from a state level. Then you have a more, it's a more, um, a more powerful stance against what the ATF is doing because it's not just the sheriffs or, you know, maybe just the AG and not the sheriffs, right? You have to provide a unified front for the federal government to say, oh, these guys are actually serious about this, right? And that's what I think we can do as the AG. The AG's office is doing a lot of good with the sheriffs right now. I want to say that, but there has to be a better connection between what's happening at the local level and the state level. So that there's always a unified front when people's constitutional rights are concerned. Well, have you heard uh, Ohio's got that attorney general that's um, talking about guns? He, they went constitutional carry, I think the end of last year, beginning of last year. And he had a study done. Mm. Um, He's been catching flack. Every leftist, purple haired weirdo, all those you know, vegans and whatever they are, they're all crying because it came out and the study shows crime actually dropped in all except for, I want to say Cincinnati, which tells me Cincinnati is a toilet bowl. Right, right. That's a different story, right. Or maybe it's Columbus. It's the... uh, Well, it's like Salt Lake City. Six of Ohio's eight largest cities saw less gun crime after the state's constitutional carry law took effect according to the study published today in the center of justice research partnership between uh the ohio ag and uh 
Dave yeah. Yost, which is one of my personal heroes right now, and Bowling Green State University. I mean, it's even a state university did the study, but not to get sidetracked onto that because I actually want to yeah. talk about that later on the show. But I want to say that's a good thing that an attorney general can do is yeah. to, uh, if a new law comes out, to bolster, is this law for real? Did it yeah. make the change? Show yeah. the evidence. And they, he showed it. And that's a big part of what I've been trying to say. The 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 next attorney general has to be willing to do. There's a bully pulpit that the governor has because he's the governor, right? But there's a bully pulpit that the attorney general has because he or she is the attorney general. And I think it can be used to greater effect. You know, I keep saying, and I'll, I'll use the, uh, um, it's similar, but I'll use the example of election integrity, right? If we can do a full statewide transparent audit, right? An investigation of the electoral system, then we're gonna be able to see, does it work? And if it doesn't, where doesn't it work? And let's fix those things. So to your point, you run a, you pass a law. We're now constitutional carry. The attorney general has all the authority to run this investigation, to run this study, partner with Bowling Green, right? And then use the power of the office to stand up and say, hey, remember that law we passed? It works because you'd be guaranteed that the left is going to try and tell you it didn't work. They're going to run their own studies or they're going to try and bring up cases, anecdotes saying you passed that law and look at how terrible life is now. And so that's an example, in my opinion, of an attorney general who's proactive saying, seeing down the road, seeing around the corner and saying, the leftists are going to come and attack this law. They're going to say that we did terrible things in this state because we enacted constitutional carry. Let's protect the law and actually study its effects so that we can come out and say, look at what it, it what happened, right? And in those jurisdictions where they didn't fully implement it, we can see what happened, right? In those, in those uh, larger metropolitan areas. But that's, again, it's a good example of an attorney general saying, I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to look down the road and see what the left is going to do. And I'm going to preempt it. And we're going to have this study and we're going to show the rest of the country that this is what works, right? So that whatever yeah. people want to come out and say, you made a mistake to do constitutional care, you can see like, well, that's your opinion, but here are the facts, right? And yeah, that's, that's good governance. Even then you may find out that that constitutional carry didn't work. We all know it does, but we're in dream purple hired Greenland where, right, right. where you know soy right. lattes or breakfast. Right. But anyways. Now you hate soy lattes too? I don't it's, soy is not milk. <laughs> and oat milk, what is that? Where <laughs> is the nipple on an oat? There should be uh, a lot. Yeah. yeah. There should be a law. I want the AG. How do you know if someone's vegan? Don't worry, they'll tell you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, you know, I, I still got this beef because I've seen I've seen Sim Gill in action so many times. And he's in a blue city, of course, Salt Lake City, where he's not prosecuting the people from the summer of love in Salt Lake that were putting our law enforcement in danger. They were putting our businesses in danger. People that were downtown were in danger. Yeah. Um he wasn't quick to prosecute them. And then you get, you get a actual vandalism at his office mm -hmm. and he's light on crime. Uh, then you get, you know, in the last AG's race, the guy running against Sean Reyes, I don't remember his name out of Utah County. Yeah. Um, talked about how he wants to do, do away with the death penalty. And yeah, in light, I don't love the death penalty. I don't, yeah. I, I don't, I, I believe life you know, is important and yeah, let him rot in jail. Here's the problem. I know in law enforcement that death penalty is one hell of a ticket to get somebody to either confess or not. When that's on the table, that's a different, a totally different animal. Now, when a person is facing, you know, 
of course there's millions of appeals and we rarely, we rarely impose the death penalty, but when you eliminate it, you take that from investigators as, and prosecutors as a way to actually get to the root of a crime. Mm-hmm. Um, he also wanted to do a lot more trials. And my biggest thing was, where are you getting the money? Where are we getting the money in Twila County to do more trials? Mm-hmm. Uh, plea bargains, I understand that. There's a need for that. But counties like ours, when we have, say, somebody with a mental health issue or a drug issue, it's not a violent crime. Our county doesn't have any way to, we don't have anywhere to put them to where we're not putting them in jails or prisons. We're not, we don't have an option to put them in rehab and, or put them back in drug court. Uh, Something that was working for a lot of people. Is that something the attorney general's office could impose or at least be an advocate for, for rural counties like ours that could, we could use the money and we could use resources where, where it comes to rehabilitate really rehabilitating the people that actually have a shot yeah because yeah. i don't think sex offenders can be rehabilitated i think that science has shown that that's something that you know you once you're you're molesting a child or you know a rapist a serial rapist those types of people don't rehabilitate per se yeah and There's, so yeah we need other methods we need ways to actually you know get people accountable of course and get them going in the right path not making better better criminals by putting them in prisons right. when they were just drug addicts when they went in and had no violent crimes but they come out still addicted to drugs somehow and mm-hmm. yet they now commit more violence and more violence because now they've learned how or what to do is that an attorney general issue is that something you could see happening or is that something that requires yeah. our legislature no, that's an everybody issue. I mean, that affects everybody. And I think every member at state government, county level, city level ought to be concerned and, and active in this. And so let me address it a couple of different ways. You know, when you're talking about mental health um, versus violent criminals, right? You know, that's sort of a different area. But the, the attorney general, again, has a powerful bully pulpit from which he can go to the legislature and say, look, we have to work on this together. The cities and the counties need the resources to handle this. It's not a violent crime issue. It's a mental health issue, right? And you're not doing anybody any favors by putting the mentally ill in jail, right? And and so you have to be able to trust the local prosecutors, but you have to give them the resources, the, lo- the cities and the counties, to deal with those issues as they come up, right? There has to be that partnership between what's happening locally and what's happening at the state level. And and that partnership, you know, the counties and cities need to understand that they have advocates at the legislature and the attorney general's office to help them get those resources. But on another level, you know, this is point number two, the state attorney general can help in those areas. If, If there are crimes that are not being prosecuted, right? If there are issues that are going unresolved or just completely ignored, by a DA, right? A state attorney general can can jump in, can have a say, can actually prosecute, right? And take some of those cases over, but also do it in a way to say, look, we're not going to allow this in Salt Lake City. We're not going to allow this in Tooele. We're not going to allow this across the state and, and not just do it and not say anything about it, make it a public issue, right? Where you're right. saying the attorney general is having to step in here and we're happy to do it, but guess what? This is your job that we're doing right now and we're going to do it for you but we shouldn't have to keep doing it for you. You need to enforce the law, but we're not going to let these violent criminal, you know, these violent crimes go unanswered. But, but let me take a step back into sort of a more strategic approach, right? We know this is happening. We know it's going to continue to happen. 
And so there needs to be a longer term approach. Somebody in the AG's office that's looking at a proactive longer term approach to what's happening here. And there have been efforts all across the country, Los Angeles, San Francisco, or two of the big Portland, you know, some of the biggest examples where there's been a lot of effort to quote unquote reform our criminal justice system, but in a way that law abiding citizens would not appreciate. Right? Absolutely. There's a fellow named John Arnold. You can look him up, A-R-N-O-L-D, right? Um, he's trying to be the next George Soros, right? He's putting billions of dollars. There's been some articles that have come out about it, about how he's trying to, again, reform criminal justice, but not in a way that's helpful to the people. And he has a foundation. It's called the Arnold Foundation. And there were led lobbyists up at the legislature that were lobbying on behalf of his foundation to the state legislature to try and implement some of the things he was doing. And one of those lobbyists is in this race, in this attorney general's race that lobbied on behalf of the Arnold Foundation. And what I'm saying is you need to look at what's happening in the in the larger context of things, what they're trying, what George Soros and John Arnold are trying to pull off in L.A. and San Francisco. And you need to be prepared to combat it because it's coming. Right. They want to implement the same things here in a Sim Gill type of approach. Right. And, and overrun the criminal justice system and not prosecute crime and let these things go free and allow illegals to come in and allow homeless camps to get set up. Right. And do it all in the name of, you know, of, of tolerance and, 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 you know, helping people. Right. And if there's an attorney general that can see it coming and stop it before it starts, you're going to avoid a lot of these problems. You got to take on the problems that are here now, but you have to know it's coming and be proactive in stopping those reform, those reforms when they're, when they're on their way. And, you know, getting these uh, liberal prosecutors, liberal DAs put in that don't want to prosecute crime. And I've said this before, I've said it to the counties. I think I've said it just earlier in this interview. If you stop it once and you really stop it, then people are going to know, oh, okay, this isn't going to fly here, right? If there's something happening in the counties that nobody's taking taking a look at and you go in and you stop it in one, all the other counties are going to say, okay, we're not going to get away with that anymore, right? Or if you know a prosecutor, a, a liberal DA isn't going to prosecute crime and, and a state attorney general steps in and says, yes, we are, and we're going to hold people accountable, then you're going to, you're going to focus some, some attention on that problem and you're going to be able to get the public behind you, which means you're going to be able to get the legislature behind you which means you're right. going to be able to dedicate the resources you need to give the local, uh, the city and county police officers, along with the county sheriffs, the resources they need. And they're going to know, okay, the attorney general's got my back. If I go into a dangerous situation and I arrest these criminals, right, and I put myself in danger, I'm going to have an AG that's actually going to prosecute this crime and not waste all the effort that I put in doing my job to try and stop crime. Not to mention when they just release them back onto the street, it emboldens right. them. Absolutely. They, they actually they actually increase their violent behavior right. because they've been like, oh, I, I've got a big question about that. And I don't know if you even have the answer to this, but Soros, the Soros Foundation has done irreparable damage to the coast of this country. Yeah. And it sounds like this. Uh, to many other this countries, too. Purple haired Arnold. I don't know what we call him, you know, giant one eyed monster, whatever. He's set to take over for that. Um, to, you know, what are some things that uh, an AG could do to uh, not just protect his state, but let's face it, we've got to look at protecting bigger than just the state because um, the state of Georgia is getting bleed over from New York. And now they've got a young nursing student that that the guy crushed her head. Um, you've got uh, an infant in illegals in where is it? And these are products of 
other states that are bleeding over into them? How do we deal with that on a bigger level? I mean, you know, is it time for torches and pitchforks? I guess that's what I'm asking. No, it's not time for torches and pitchforks yet, as long as you have an attorney general that will stand up and fight these fights for you. And let me give you an example. Look at what Governor Abbott is doing in, in Texas, right? He's securing the border. He's putting up the barbed wire. The federal government says you have to take it down. They say, no, we're going to keep putting it up, right? They're fighting that fight, and they're stepping outside. The judge has ruled against him, though, that he's not allowed to have – his officers are not, are not allowed to ask if someone is legal or right. illegal. A judge just ruled mm -hmm. against the governor and his – and that legislation. The legislators right. put out a law that if someone is stopped by police and found to be illegal, they will be – sent to ICE and removed from the country and a judge, a Reagan appointed judge just stopped that. Well, yeah. and I have other concerns about that. I applause him on shipping the illegals to the sanctuary cities and stressing yeah. their financial wallets, but the illegals still get deeper in and those sanctuary cities are going to hit a census in three years and they're right. going to get another, another congressional vote out of it. Right. Well, so in the end, we're going to lose. Well, not if we not if 2024 turns out to be a better election than 2020. Right. I mean, if we get a Trump presidency again and I fully endorse the president back on January 16th and he carries through, which I think he will with his promise of mass deportations. Right. That has to happen. And it has to happen now to your point, Jared, that, you know, these censuses are going to take they're going to happen. Right. And we can't allow them to happen when you've got, you know, states that are allowing non-immigrants not only to vote, but to be on voting boards, right? Or and in so, law enforcement. Exactly, exactly. Oxymoron. But So it takes a proactive approach to say, look, this has never been done before, what I want to propose kind of thing, right? Like it's never happened that you had the Texas governor setting up barbed wire down on the, uh, down on the border, but he did it, right? And if you say, look, we're going to implement some things in this state, it's never been done before, but we're going to try it because guess what? Utah is a major corridor up I-15, you know, and down 15 of, of drug trafficking, sex trafficking, child trafficking. So that issue affects us. We have standing to go in and take care of this issue. So we can go in. I can partner with the county sheriffs. We can say we have all the power and constitutional authority we need to protect our people. And we can start to implement some measures to get these illegal immigrants out of our state. And then we will get sued. And then we will defend ourselves against those lawsuits. And we might win some and we might lose some. But we got to fight the fight. Right. And nobody's fighting the fight. It's just like, well, hands thrown in the air. There's nothing we can do. It's a federal issue. No, it's not. It's a state, city, local community issue. And people are dying and they're dying of fentanyl overdoses and children are getting trafficked and there's being drug trafficking and it has to be fought here. And maybe we lose some of those battles in the trenches and the lawsuits and the federal government, you know, you get liberal judges or even Reagan appointees that say, nope, sorry, you can't do that, but we're going to fight the fight. And there's going to be something along the way that we win and we're going to build on those wins and we're going to keep fighting those fights. So the people of Utah know regardless of what happens, there's an AG that's going to fight this for them and not just say, well, I don't know, it's a federal issue. That's not OK. Well, and I think a lot of you in the race, um, I, I, I know pretty much everyone in the race and we've had a couple. Well, we've had one on, but mm -hmm. um, I've I've known Derek Brown a long time. And I really, I really highly respect him. He was, he was an excellent GOP chair and was able to get really good communication between people who were at each other's throats. And I get that you, you do need to have, you need to have a strong presence where people can trust you, businesses can trust you. And I am a law enforcement kid. I grew up in law enforcement. My, my father, my brother, I have, 
strong ties to law enforcement. So that's my family that shows up in the city when it's burning down. It's my family that takes hits to the face or runs the risk of danger. So I, it's my family, you know, when, when Sim Gill is trying to prosecute a whole department for misdeeds and then during an election year and he has all the charges filed and two days after he's elected, he drops all the charges because he had no case. That is to me, that helps turn people against law enforcement. And we need a bond. Utah is a pretty great state to be a, a police officer or a deputy in, I think. I think we've got great, great police officers and everything else. But I'm seeing this the tide turning. And I want to make sure that anyone who wins this seat will have law enforcement's back as much as they have business and and citizens. So I'd like to see a good working relationship with all, because you can't be friends with everyone all the time, of course. But with, you know, I have a big problem with, um, you know, asset forfeiture. I have a big problem when somebody can search another person's car. And if they've got thousands of dollars in that car, the, the departments can take it. I have a big problem with that. I'm ready. I think Utah should put an end to that. I know we're a high drug traffic area. Um, and I-80, I-15, all parleys, all that way is all high traffic for drugs. But I want an AG who's going to go, wait a minute, your civil rights are being violated. And they took $18,000 from you. Since when is it illegal to carry a large amount of cash with you? You have no crime. You've been charged with no crime, yet a department takes it. And that's going on all around the country. And to me, that's that's blatant violation of my civil rights. And right. it's your job to bring a case against me. And if I happen to have $25,000 on me in cash because I'm headed to Wyoming to buy a classic car, why do I have to defend myself to you and you get to take it? You know, this is a problem. And Utah's been guilty of it. Uh I hate that. And I know it's beneficial to law enforcement because they get to keep that money or they share it with the federal government. But then there's no crime. We've got so many problems. Criminal justice reform. We should start looking in jails and looking at these ridiculous sentences against a black person versus a white person for the exact same crime. And that's where I want reform to start. Let's see who's in there for marijuana crimes. Let's see who's in there for, you know, Who's in there who's mentally ill? Look at the mental illness problem across the nation right now. And nobody is saying that's the problem we need to tackle. Because I know our AG's office had, and with work with legislators made the the mental health um, three-digit number mm-hmm. so that people can call if, they, if they're having a mental health crisis. Instead of 911, they call this. Um, our AG's office did that with our local legislature and with Chris Stewart our congressman, our district. Um, that's the type of stuff I want to see coming out of out of the AG's office. I want right. people to right. get help, not get thrown in prison, not get thrown into a homeless camp and said, hey, good luck. Um, I want something where even drug addicts who are not violent have something. And I want the AG's office leading that. Right. And not to get famous necessarily, but... Right to set precedent on human life and how valuable it is, yeah. regardless if it's, if a 15 year old, a nine year old, a 40 year old, you know, people struggle and they're struggling in our state needs. We need to be leaders in this. Yeah. Holly, you've touched on a lot of really great issues right there. And I, I want to, I want to hit on a couple of the things you said, 
but I, I want to preface it with a story that I think can kind of encapsulate what you're talking about. Um, you know, you talk about recourse, like what is the people's recourse when they feel like their assets have been, you know, taken by, by police or, you know, they, you know, the state comes for them, right? Like why is the attorney general leading on that? The first case I ever took to trial ever. Um, I was a young attorney, first year attorney. And I had um, a friend come to me. He was an ecclesiastical leader. And he said, Hey, I have a couple I need you to talk to. And they don't have any money, but they need your help. And and they said, they told me the story, the state had showed up at their house at gunpoint and extracted their two daughters, nine and 11 from the house, from the parents and, and took them in, in, and put them in, in foster care. And the state was trying to terminate the parental rights of those parents based off of a, an accusation by a disgruntled former employee. So I looked at the case, I said, okay, I'm gonna take this case. And I was gonna represent the parents, I was gonna protect their, their parental rights and I was gonna get those kids back. And I showed up to the very first hearing and again, I'm just a first year lawyer, right? A little wet behind the ears. I, you know, I'm, I'm very probably overconfident, but I show up at the first hearing and the state literally tosses this motion to me across the table. It's a 24 page motion for sanctions against me, against the attorney. And what they were trying to do is it was a brushback pitch, right? They were trying to scare me and get me off this case and say, you don't belong here, kid. So I argued the motion, I won the motion and we won the hearing, but it took eight months to get those girls out of that system, get them back with their parents, protect those parental rights. And this may not surprise you, as soon as that family was reunited, they took off. They left that state and never returned. Oh surprised. yeah. Right? Well, right? isn't there a, a federal uh, legislation that it's perverse, but states make money when they remove children from parents. So you get a lot of abuses in that. And which yeah. honestly, and foster care systems, that money is, by taking those children. I, I don't mean to bring up guillotines every time I do a oh show. Oh my gosh, here it is. 355 but, folks. You brought it up at 355. Does this have to do with purple hair and guillotines? I know that's kind of an issue for you. Once yeah. you, once you approach an, a, a parasitic abusive government, what's the other answer? And, and that's my point is there's no recourse. Your recourse is one of two things. You go and hire an attorney and maybe you can afford them and maybe you can't, or you roll over and you take it from the state. And here's my larger point. If you haven't fought the state, right? We've had, we have other attorneys in this race that have done really excellent legal work, litigation, right? There's other people in this race that have never practiced litigation, but some that have, but if you, that's fighting for the state. Right, you take the state's agenda and you're gonna implement the state's agenda. There's nothing wrong with that. I have a lot of respect for people that work for the state their whole careers. But if you've never fought the state, okay, you don't understand the vast resources and power and presumption that the judges give the state. Right. You are uphill from day one. And, if and you've you never go bankrupt that, trying right. to defend yourself right. by and design. If you've never been in that position, you don't understand what it's like to fight the state. And that's the mindset that I wanna to bring to the attorney general's office. Like the attorney general needs to be an advocate for the people, even against the power of his or her own office to give them recourse. Right. And that's what I'm talking about. Setting up divisions where people can come and say $25,000 was taken from my car and not have it go through a bureaucracy of five months before anybody even looks at it. It gets handled. Right. And there's attorneys that get assigned to cases and they're because they have a partnership with local law enforcement. They can say, hey, we understood this happened. Can we get detail? Like, can we just handle it? It shouldn't be five months. It should be five hours. Right. But that requires an ongoing proactive approach to build relationships with these police departments at the city and the county level. It, it requires trust with the people to say, no, yeah. I'm going to make good on that promise. 
and I'm going to fight for your rights ahead of the agenda of whatever regulatory agency we're talking about. And to your point, Jared, I spoke with, he's a former member of the legislature and he's, he's an attorney and he's been working with DCFS. He wrote laws relating to DCFS, but also fighting against DCFS his entire career. He told me there are 700 cases a year in which parental rights are terminated. Now, you can imagine that some percentage of those are probably warranted, right? There is such yeah. a thing as really bad parents, yeah, right? Abusers, drug right. addicts, all that. Yeah. 700, I, right? Yeah. Where's that money going? That's if it was 700, you would. The system, right? Where is the money going? Mm-hmm. Who's benefiting from that? What, you know, what parts of it work and what parts of it don't? What recourse do parents have? And unless an attorney general is willing to stand up and say, look, I'm 47 years old and my entire life, I've never heard or seen of an audit of DCFS ever. <laughs> well, and see, and foster care systems make, I mean, you know, foster parents get paid quite a bit of money per kid. And a lot of them will take on 12 kids. Well, I, and I don't want to. that good care for it? I don't want to. Thank you to the foster parents that do a good job. Right. I don't want to disabuse the foster system because it's right. a needed gap. And, so and it helps, point, but, let's just make sure it works. That's all yeah, I'm saying. That's all I'm I've never, that if I've it never been work. part of a private organization that didn't voluntarily audit its books and then share those results with the people that needed to see it. The shareholders, the investors, with whatever. The investors, right. And we are right. all investors in this state. But the government doesn't do it. And they won't do it until there's someone who doesn't need to ask permission of legislative leadership or of the governor or of a regulatory agency to run one of these audits. Someone that can just stand up, wake up one morning and being, no, we're going to war and we're going to make sure we understand whether these regulatory agencies work or not. And the parts that work, awesome. The parts that don't, we're going to fix them. And if someone needs to go to jail, so be it. But somebody's got to stand up and make that fight. I wish I wish that our federal government leadership was doing the same thing in auditing these big ABC <laughs> uh, departments. And I've said it on this show a million hey. times, but we need an audit of the FBI. We need Did an you guys audit hear of the, the news going to Ukraine. We need an audit of the CIA and the G- right now, the we DOJ. Need the Fed, right. We need to I mean, yes, we need to see what's Did going on. Did you guys on. hear the news? No, tell me. The United States Marine Corps is the first ABC organization to pass an audit last week. The no first way. in something like 25 years. I want so, everyone to soak it in. Hoorah, Marines. Good job. All right, go on. So no, I love what it. I'm saying is I would love to see that at a federal level, but I especially would like to see a bulldog uh, on the state level for those citizens that feel like, hey, I'm, I can't afford to fight this state. I can't afford to go bankrupt to get my life savings back that I drove across state lines with, um, or I can't afford this. It would be nice if there was some sort of department. You've got incredible attorneys in that office. And and Sean's got amazing, amazing attorneys and investigators in that office. And I think that they work tirelessly on so much. So this would be a money issue. Let me say this to that point, Holly. I started this interview by telling you about that idea that was floated last September about making the attorney general. You know who made that idea, by the way? Because I've heard that's only a rumor because he talks about the attorney general and the state school board, which had my head about spinning around. So there was an article. There were articles in the Deseret News and KSL. uh, I can't remember if the trip had one, but it was it was Senator Mike McKell who floated the idea. And they actually had quotes from the governor in the article supporting the idea initially. And, and he sort of couched it in, I'd like to learn more, but I support the idea. And, and um, you know, so there's articles, I, September, October of last year. But, um, but here's the point I want to make about that. 
it wasn't just an attempt to move the AG under the under the governor, right? There was a concerted effort, in my opinion, to demonize the actual office itself, right? right. They like, look, there's corruption top to bottom in that office. You just got to go in and clean house. And it almost made my head explode. I know yeah. a lot of the attorneys in that office, those are good attorneys. Those are people that could be making any salary they wanted at any law firm across the country. And they chose to take that job and fight for justice, right? And so- Absolutely. Part of what I'm going to say is like, yes, the attorney general needs to stand up for individual rights, but also for his office. Those are good yeah. attorneys and they're doing their best. Right. And we can give them tools and incentives to help them do a little better. We can all do a little better. Right. But what I won't stand for is them saying, well, we got to, you know, we're going to have to clean house over there. We're going to have to fire all 300 attorneys and get new attorneys. Well, no, those are good people. You you're what you're saying is right. You've got to be prepared to fight the state who you've got legislators and you've got the pulpit of the governor's office. And if they're literally telling all of Utah that you, your office is corrupt and your AG is corrupt and the AG, how do you defend yourself when there's not a hearing where you get to face your accusers? There's no. not, it's only this rumor mill that can be misinformation. There could be a little here, a little there, but there's no way to actually to draw it all out. And I want an AG that's going to stand up and go, this is crap. Yeah. Bravo Sierra here. I have yeah. not done these things and my office has not done these things and we're ready to go to war to defend this office. And I mean, I would love to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think and I'll that say it again. a lot of it is getting used against them and they don't have a way to fight back. Right. And, and they, they don't have a way to fight back because the attorneys in that office, the, the staff in that office, it's a 600 person office, right? 300 of which are attorneys, right? It's not their job to be the public spokesman. It's their job to go protect, you know, civil rights, individual rights, fight for the, you know, fight for what's right. It's the attorney general's job to go fight for them and for the people of Utah and stand up. I'll say it again. There's, you know, sort of the governor. There's no other state constitutional level authority that has more of a bully pulpit than the attorney general. And the attorney general should be partnering with the legislature in ways that benefit the people and giving credit to the legislature and standing up for his attorneys and local law enforcement and county law enforcement and state law enforcement when they're doing the right thing and saying, this is what we need to do in Utah. And I want to get to an earlier point that you made, Holly, about it'd be great if the federal government did that. It's always been the case when something works in a state, other states pick it up. Eventually, the yeah. federal government pick it up. Look at what we could do with election integrity. When the, the first thing I want to do on day one is start to conduct a full statewide transparent audit of Utah's electoral system, right? I want to make sure it works. We've heard that it's safe and secure. Let's prove it, right? I hope that when we get all the way done that, the, that we have proof that the election was safe and secure. That'd be great. But to hold the audit and to actually provide proof to people that it worked and, and maybe show some things that didn't work, that's where you can go to a legislature and say, hey, I get it. You guys like doing it this way, but here's a mountain of evidence that shows that this isn't the best way to do it. This is the right way to do it. And if you do you know, that, on, on, that note, on that note, we didn't have standing over the 2020 thing. Remember, judge kicked it out. Even though the presidential election affects all the states, we didn't have standing. But, but we have a but lot the of people general has the has the full constitutional authority to run an investigation of our state electoral system. Absolutely. Right. But a lot of people will follow you on this because just like that idea of turning over the AG's office and being under appointment and all and the and the school board, um, there's a lot of people floating an idea that no, we need we need to have a secretary of state who's gonna run the elections because why would you want 
And this is nothing against lieutenant governor's office, nothing. But the lieutenant governor's office runs elections and it perception, they also run their own. A lot of people would like an outside source that's running the elections and that may not necessarily benefit or, you know, be burdened by the results. So I don't know what that looks like other than an attorney general who maybe does audit our elections. Right. And and it's not just the election itself, but it's everything that happens in between the election and the next election, right? How are we cloning? How are we cleaning voter rolls? Right? How are we preparing for the next election? All of those things, right? It's a longer process. It's not a six month process. That's a longer process. But my larger point is, if we do it and we do it right, which is what we do in Utah, other states will say, "Well, Utah audited their election. Why can't we audit their, ours?" Right? Let's see how they did it. Let's you know, let's implement some of those same things. Maybe they do some things in their audit that's better than ours. I don't know. And it spreads, right? Eventually, you gain the momentum to say. Every state is doing it, or all, at least all the red states are doing it. Let's have one in the federal government. That's how ideas in this laboratory of a democracy that we have actually take hold and get spread across the country. But there has to be somebody who stands up and does it first, right? Well, I'm going to ask you the question anyone else is going to ask you, and how do you pay for it? Well, here's the thing. If, if, if the attorney general came out and said, we're going to audit the election, you can go to the legislature and get an appropriation for it. That might be hard, right? There's going to be some political differences, I think, within the party. And I think there's going to be some people in power who don't want that to happen. But an attorney general can can use outside resources to pay for something like that. And if a state attorney general said, we're going to run an audit of the election, would anybody like to help fund it? 48 hours. You could fund something like that so fast. and But be transparent, fully transparent with the sources of the money, the vendors we're going to use, the different you know third-party sources that we're going to use to audit this election and audit every part of it, right? The ballots, the mail-in ballots, the machines, doing interviews with county clerks, doing interviews with their employees, taking a full top-to-bottom approach and being transparent with all of it so that the people can finally see, yeah, this part works, that part not so much. That's that's a good point. I, I know that can get sticky when you start bringing in funds from outside sources, but yeah. you know, full transparency is the key right. to have it not be sticky. You can see where the money's been spent. Hell, you could do most of it with volunteers and right. people. I and know so people many people state that would bang down my door, that would knock down my door to get involved in this. I got a question. If we're going to do that, <clears throat> what can I start selling so I can get that good government markup? What are you talking about? Because <laughs> I'll sell stuff to this audit. No, I'm just kidding. You know, like a $5,000 hammer. Guillotines, right. man. You're that going into guillotine business. It sells business. itself, right? Like, it, it's just crazy. I, I, it does or else. <laughs> here's the hard part we're at is we do an audit here. Like my county, I trust my county. Yeah. I trust my county clerk a thousand percent. Um. I think she would be one of those that ISIS would have her in a dark room with a lamp on her and they're working her toes over with a hammer and she wouldn't let anything out. She's just, she's just that hardy. I love it. But, but she's also highly transparent yeah, and, but, and into election security. 1000%. How is it, you know, and then you go into the rest of the state and then you go beyond the state and that's where it's, you start losing me. And then, I mean, you've got Colorado, Maine. and we just got to protect our own at this point and try to get other yeah. states to do the same yeah. to follow suit. But blue states are not going to follow suit. No, they're not. And just that like, judge in Illinois that just took Trump off the ballot, she's a traffic yeah. cop. 
She has she has literally no jurisdiction yep. to do that. She's not a federal judge. She's not even like she doesn't rise above that level. She could make a decision like that, but she does it. And of course, the, the news runs with it. Oh, he's off the ballot. And, and, mm -hmm. and nobody. And again, it's Illinois. Right. So you might kind of expect it from them. Right. But there yeah. are there are attorney generals, right. There are attorney generals that are Republican across in different states that have to deal with a Democrat governor or a Democrat controlled legislature. And they need to be proactive in their approach. We don't suffer from that here. We have um, well, we can get into that, but they have to be proactive to say, look, you know, the law is this and we're not taking Trump off the ballot. I don't care what any of you say. Right. Well, think of the litigation. What, what state can afford to litigate against this? Because this is going to go straight to the Supreme Court because right. of the timing alone. And then think about the rioting that will happen in certain in in Illinois. We're talking rural Illinois because it's not all Illinois. It's like Chicago. And I mean, Chicago is Trump country compared to <laughs> what <laughs> Jesse Samoy said. <laughs> think of the rioting that's going to happen during the cold weather vortex out it's front of Solway. It's all by design, right? It's all by design, Absolutely. right? The rioting, the unrest, right? Getting us to fight with each other. It's all by design. And, and they want that to happen across the country. And they want us to get mad about the fact that this Illinois judge took Trump off the ballot. It's completely insane, right? And yes, it's going to go all the way to the Supreme Court. In my opinion, the Supreme Court, and I think they might actually get one of the liberal justices to side with him on this, given her past history on election issues. Um, I think the Supreme Court's going um, to knock it down. But you've already got places like Colorado that have printed the ballots, right? Like it's already too late there. Right. Mm -hmm. And they want to just frustrate us. They want to make us angry. Right. And so, they want you to know, steal the election. Right. And they're not even shy about how they're doing it. We're going to steal the election. And yet even justices, like you said, ask the question. He's never been charged with a crime. He's right. never been charged with insurrection. How are you using this to take him off a ballot? When he's never been charged, is there a trial none of us heard about? I mean, right. even liberal judges worth their weight and salt. They better, they better vote the right way because what we've seen when people have lost their minds, we've seen the left throw their hissy fit. There's right. a silent majority of people out there yep. who have kept their cool and are going to get so livid because now you're telling me now you're taking my choice away. Right. He's never committed a crime that he's been charged with. And you're yeah. trying everything to get him charged. Right, right. Criminally. Yeah. More like civil, 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 civil. Now they're calling him a rapist. Well, I mean, because a judge said a civil matter for a victim that can't remember what year it happened. No, she doesn't know exactly what happened. She's creepy as all hell. She's got a terrible track record. It's better than that. They give the restitution charge prior to the conviction. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And now it's $400 million trying to bankrupt him out of running. And the, the American people see this. And anyone who says this is not absolute um, election interference is a liar. And let me, They're let me ask lying you this. to themselves. If they can do this to a former president who happens to have that much money, what can they do to you? If you don't have a state attorney general that's going to stand up and fight for you. They're doing it to people every single that's day. Right. That's yeah. right. And unless we have a state attorney general that's going to stand up and say, not in this state, no, and, and smack it down wherever it rears its ugly head, that's what you're going to find. Because they're trying to take over in all the states. And and it's it's not that they're just going after Trump and trying to keep him off the ballot. This is a message. What they did to General Flynn, what they did to Rudy Giuliani, right? It's a message 
it, it's the same message that those prosecutors tried to send to me when they tried to sanction me for getting involved in that case to protect those children. Mm. Don't mess with us. You don't belong here. This is our game. Get out. Well, not to, you don't to have bolster, to, that. to bolster that, but not to throw a wrench in it. Remember the charge? What was it? Uh, was it Massachusetts gave Alex Jones? Oh, yeah. Where it looks like the person writing the number had a stroke and went into reset and just putting commas and zeros. It was it was like the GDP of Italy. Right. Right. And he got fined. That was his fine. It was yeah. you get fined a cabillion gajillion dollars. That's actually illegal. <laughs> and you're you like, can't be you yeah. can't be fined more than what a crime can be. And I mean, there's just Here's the thing. I feel like Sean Reyes has been a pillar of support for Donald Trump. And I know that Trump has backed him in the child trafficking thing. And most people in this country would have no idea how mm. severe child trafficking is in this country until right. Sean Reyes brought it to everyone's attention, brought it to Trump. I mean, and we got to see a ball rolling. I think you're going to be filling some really big shoes. Right. And I mean, I, I get that the states all have to get on board. But at this point, I just want red states. I mean, let's start with red states who go, okay, here's the deal. This is happening, this is happening, this is happening. Because once the citizens of blue states see that, wait a second, I'm just as important as the guy next to me, the girl next to me, I deserve a fair trial as much as a ex-president deserves a fair trial. And this is abuse. And this happened to so-and-so that I know. Like these people have experienced this. This this the DOJ or our justice system has affected every family somehow in this yeah. country. And right. after seeing the nine or excuse me, the January 6th situation and talk about evidence not getting turned over to the defense and plea bargains made without 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 the uh, defense attorneys even knowing right. what they don't have or what they do have. This is mock of justice. This is mocking it. And they're selling this huge lie. And now I think more Americans are saying, wait a second, they just pulled all this over. These people have been under the jail in DC. They may never see the light of day. And yet what crime did they commit? Not one person has been charged with insurrection. Not one. Let alone, I mean, if they were, it was the worst insurrection in the history of history. Right. An unarmed insurrection. Mm-hmm. This is such a serious job you want to get. Yeah. This is yeah. so much trust needed by the American people or just the Utah people for your job. Right. But we're battling a federal government here that at every turn right. is is totally making justice look like a joke. Right. And there's there's so many ways that a state attorney general can be proactive in these cases, right? But but also make sure that the people know I've got you. Right. You have a resource. You have someone who will go to war if they need to with the entire weight of the state attorney general's office to protect you. OK, there's let me give you an example. There's a current senator from Missouri. His name's Eric Schmidt. He was the attorney general of Missouri. And when Biden passed his unlawful student loan forgiveness plan, Eric Schmidt said, no, you don't. And he sued on behalf of Missouri. He took it all the way to the Supreme Court and he argued it himself and he won. Okay, but that didn't just affect Missouri, that affected all of us, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the Biden administration went around, went around the ruling, did something that I still think is unconstitutional, and they still started doing it. He fought that fight and he won. And you have attorney generals all across the country that are doing that. 
You've got the attorney general in, in Tennessee, in Florida, in, you know, in Texas, right? Fighting these fights, you know, filing uh, lawsuits against big tech, big pharma, against the federal government, right? And those attorney generals have an outsized impact. They can affect national policy by fighting these policies in the federal courts, right? It doesn't just have to be Utah. You got to protect your, you know, protect your house first, but you can have an outsized impact no. on federal policy if you're willing to take on those fights. Well, you're right. That's the thing is what I, I mean. Sean Reyes took on the fight with trafficking and it changed it policy nationwide. Yes, so you're absolutely ESG, right. Right. And he pushed back on ESG. That changed the fight as well. Right. Give him full credit for that. Well, and Marlo Oaks. No one knew Marlo Oaks. And Do he becomes treasurer before we know it. ESG is in everybody's vernacular. Now they all right. know what they're talking about and yep. they're seeing DEI and how it works and how mm-hmm. I mean. Our, our country is in a very, very bad way. And I feel like as a Republican, I want to see our platform come out in every single elected leadership, example, everything. I'm tired of being the party that compromises all the time, plays defense all the time. I want to be the party that is leading by example and fighting for the people, all the people, not just our side, but the civil rights of every person. Mm -hmm. And so it's getting to a point where, you know, we need, I think a lot of people in our County are ready for, we're ready for that upset. We're ready for someone who's going to stand up and say no more. We're done with going the norm. Um, And our AG's office has been pretty forthcoming as far as fighting. And so I'm hopeful that whoever gets in that seat will have, will have that, that vigor and right. especially and, that ability. And it's important to look through the candidates and see which one you think can really bring to your point that vigor and that that isn't conflicted out, right? You know, I, for example, the state's suing Facebook, right? For the damage. And, and this is an interesting point that I wanna highlight. We know that Facebook executives knew that their algorithm was addictive and hurting kids. We know that they knew that and that they went ahead anyway. And the reason we know that is because other state attorney general, attorneys general, fought those fights, got those disclosures, and now it's out and open in the public. And because of the fight that was fought on that battlefield, now we can take that and go sue Facebook and say, okay, we want damages, right? But you can't have someone as the attorney general who's conflicted out, right? I don't have any you know, problem with people deciding they wanna be a lobbyist. You know, if, that's your, if that's your career of choice, that's fine. But I don't think a lobbyist who has lobbied for Facebook should be the next attorney general. I think that creates a conflict. Again, people can choose whatever career path they want, but you have to understand, are there conflicts that are going to compromise the ability of the next attorney general to fight the fight on any battlefield that they need to fight it? I've never been a lobbyist. You know, my background, like I said, I'm a litigator, I'm a leader, I've been a CEO, but I've fought multi-million dollar lawsuits. I've filed briefs in front of the Supreme Court. But at the same time, I have the ability to say, okay, I'm going to take that Facebook case and I'm going to win it, right? We're going to take all of these cases, the the 60 cases that are currently pending that involve rural Utah, grazing rights, trail, you know, access to trails, all those things, and we're going to win them, right? And you have to have somebody that's going to be willing to come in, but also do the strategy of it, the long-term planning of it, the proactivity of it, and say, we're going to do it in a way that we win, not just today, but in a year, in five years, in 10 years. And that's what I think. The federal Supreme Court case has been paid for. I mean, the money's been put aside to sue right. over our federal lands and nobody is is doing it. So I really I really appreciate that. I mean, you got a person on here who wants one of your signs already. 
Hey Love mom, it. stop it. I'm neutral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, send a couple and, signs and out this way. Delegate. Well, we'll and right now you're you have decided to go convention only. Convention you're only. not gathering signatures. Now, no. why this is so great to me is because here's a grassroots candidate who sees something that needs fixing and he thinks he can do the best job. Just like we talked about in the beginning of the show before our internet outage, that when a candidate like that, he may not have a million dollars in the coffers to go run a campaign or 500,000 to go gather signatures. So what you're doing is you're going through convention and you're going to trust the delegates to choose you and get you on the ballot. That means that a regular Joe Schmo like you and I, has that fair advantage to go talk to 4,000 people instead of 3 million. Mm -hmm. And so anybody that is liking what you hear, this candidate is, we've got his website that I put in the, in the show notes and we'll do it again. But, um, but go to Trent Christensen. Is it four number four AG? Nope. It's just Trent. Yeah, TrentChristensen.com. The 4AG is on your socials, like oh, on your social media, Twitter, and and go uh, offer to donate. Rumble and Grinder. I'm sure he has a donate button. Um, (laughs) I'm sure he needs volunteers. And you know, if you're running for state, if you're running for state delegate, you will have the opportunity to choose the AG in through convention. And so, again, go to your. Go to your caucus and talk about this candidate if it's someone you like with your delegates if you don't want to be a delegate yourself. And just find out if you've got a delegate that that is willing to get to know this candidate who maybe already knows, whatever. But right now is the chance and he's laying everything on the line with you, the, um, the voters, and saying, yep. hey, pick me choose me, get me through to convention and I'll be on the ballot and we'll go from there. So I respect that a lot. I respect that a lot. It's, you know, in our state, SB 54, we can't get it recalled for some reason. And we're a private party, the Republican party, we're private, but legislators put up SB 54 under the guise that caucus isn't really hear your voice and Mm -hmm. signature path is the way to go. And we took it all the way to the Supreme court. Mm -hmm. And yet we still have this dual path. When if these legislators really believed that the private that we're a private party and that our delegates are actually valuable, they would vote to get rid of SB 54 right at the at the Capitol. And they haven't. They like the dual path. They'll pay for signatures and get on the ballot no matter what. So yeah. I find it extremely, extremely great and trusting and it's going to be hard. I mean, you've got 4,000 people to campaign to, That's right. but at least it's not 3 million right out of the gate. But here's the beauty of it that that I love. This is the part that I love talking to people, understanding the issues, understanding what's happening to you in your local, in your local areas. Right. I mentioned earlier about law enforcement, that the County sheriffs are the only members of law enforcement anywhere in the state that are popularly elected. Right. I mentioned that there was an effort to try and take the voice of the AG away from the people and make that an appointment, right? Everything about what I'm trying to do as attorney general is to give the voice to the people. And that's what I want to do at convention. I want to know if the voice of the people picks me, I will fight. But if they don't pick me, I will back whoever they want, right? Because it's the voice of the people that matters. It's not what I want. It's not what you want. It's the people, right? And that's why convention to me is so important. I've been a state delegate 
five times. I've been a county delegate twice. I actually had the honor of serving as an elector in 2020. I was one of only six people in this state who was a member of the Electoral College that vote that cast a legally binding vote that gets recorded in the Library of Congress for Donald Trump. That was an okay. honor. Okay, hold right? on, hold on, delegate hold myself. on. Let's tell me about this Electoral College. I want some further education. How yeah. did you become a part of it? What was the process? Can you lay it out for me? Did you see the rest of the Subruder film? Go on, lay it out. I'm waiting. <laughs> So Are you on drugs? I'll, I'll, I'll give you a larger. So the electoral college is how the president gets elected. It's, yes, he's not, yes. How do you become a part of it? Right. There's electors, and every state has electors, and it matches the number of their federal delegation. So Utah has six, right? Four congressmen and, and two senators. Um, and it's the same process actually as becoming a state delegate at state convention. I put my name in as an elector. I was able to give a speech to say, you know, I want to be an elector. Here's why it matters. I'm going to vote for Trump. I believe in what his policies are and I want him to get reelected. And the voice of the people chose me right now. The Republicans pick their electors. The Democrats pick their electors. And whoever wins the state, Trump won the state. So we went with the, you know, the Republican won the state. So we went with the Republican electors. Had the Democrat won the state, those electors would have gone up to the Capitol and signed their name and, and voted for their candidate, right? So every we party has a brimstone across the valley. I get it. So, yeah. no, that's interesting. I've, I've often wondered, because um, I've heard stories, but I've often wondered how the Electoral College, how they got there. Um, yeah, yeah. And, you how know, you've heard there? stories and, and how no, not an how theoretically, but how the individuals became a member of the Electoral College. I've heard it and... Uh, I know. I remember I watched like a interview with one on CBS or NBC or whatever, you know, one yeah. of those. And they talked about the kid. He did it. His father did it before him. The kid was in college. He was like a junior in college and he was already yeah. doing it. That's awesome. But yeah. No, that's that's uh, that's interesting. Like, I would like to do a show just on that. Yeah. Yeah. In some states do it differently. It's based on state law. Right. That's the beauty of our system. Every state can do it however they want. You know, in some states, the electors are appointed within the party. Right. Mm. But not in Utah. In Utah, again. And to Holly, to your point, it's the voice of the people at convention that matters. Right. That's how the electors get chosen. That's how, you know, um, candidates get put on the primary ballot. Right. Other states have these jungle primaries where you put 17 people on the ballot and the electorate, the, the the electorate at large, is supposed to know how who of these seventeen people am I supposed to vote for, right? And right. And our state system, done. they yeah. let you actually sit in front of someone, look them in the eye, ask look them hard the questions, right. and get a feel, and then and 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 then make a, a judgment. I, I think yeah. that there are people who have made well the count my vote campaign that actually got us SB fifty four was there was an agenda attached there i believe and it did it it turned campaigns into you had to have money to be anything right and to me that's sad no it it as i understand the history of it it came to be after mike lee beat bob bennett at convention Mm -hmm. if you remember the history of it bob bennett Mm -hmm. was a very senior senator right and mike went through the convention process, got his delegates elected and completely surprised Bennett in election. And people and, like uh, me knocked on doors for Mike Lee right. because we believed in him. And it was a political earthquake, right? That somebody who, you know, it was the first office Mike ever ran for. And God bless yeah. him, he went straight to the Senate, right? And that's awesome. But he did it through the voice of the people 
But then you have these interests that are like, well, wait a second, Bob Bennett was our guy, right? And, and they didn't want that. And so they created a second way for people to go through, not necessarily going by the voice of the people so that you, you wouldn't have those kind of upsets in the future. And that's how I understand the history of it. Somebody may disagree or tell me I've got my facts wrong, but, but to your no. point, it, and- it's to help, it's, it's to give the voice to the people, right? And people will say, well, if you go through convention, only the hard right wingers will vote for you. No, the people that took the time to go to caucus and asked their neighbors, like I'm looking out the window at all these houses, my neighbors, they would be the ones voting for me, right? Yeah. Like, and I'm going to run for state delegate and I'm going to say to them, guys, you know me. We've lived next to each other. Our kids play together. You know me. I want to represent you. How can you do better than that? And I'm going to return and report. I'm going to come back and say, yeah, this is who I voted for. And this is what happened. That's the voice of the people. Here's the thing. That return and report is so key. And I've been a state delegate for years and I ran as a national delegate. And I was so lucky because I was one of two in my county. And the other one was was Chris Stewart. So (laughs) it was like amazing. And then 2020, we don't get to go to. And that sucks. But the return and report. So what does the state do? is they make caucus now because everybody in count my vote said caucus is hard to attend. People working can't get there. Um, so what does the state do? Okay. Pre-register. Oh, you can't be there. Then register absentee. Um, we're going to put all of this data online. It's going to be easy. Now I don't want to discount the people who actually go out and get signatures themselves sure. because I would hate to say that person, yeah. that person, like some of our County people have to get 300 signatures. And they go to every single person. I don't want to discount the person that says, okay, I trust you to be my guy. I'm going to sign my name. You can't sign any other petitions after that, but you're my guy. And I don't have to go to my caucus. But what they're missing is, is there's, there's what, 50 to 100,000 signatures needed for like a senatorial race. Mm. Um, And it's so high. Maybe it's, Maybe it's less. I'm not sure how many it is, but I know that it's half a million dollars. And it has to they're be a certain paying, percentage from every county. And you're right. Yeah. There's a lot that goes into it. And they're paying an outside company to come in and go door to door. And half the time, these people can't really answer that many questions about this candidate. They can just read right. off a flyer of what this candidate stands for. They're not meeting the candidate. Right. They're meeting somebody who's convincing them, just like the Count My Vote campaign. Right. Count My Vote? That sounds amazing. Yeah, I'll sign that. Of course I want my vote counted when in fact they're saying uh, you count my vote, but not count my voice. You're not, you're not hearing my voice. I'm just signing a piece of paper and saying, yeah, okay, get out of my porch, get off my porch. Right. You know, it's, it's Don't make me go get my guillotine. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Leave me alone. Dinner's hot. It's, it's, I think it's really, I think it's really great that you're putting trust in the delegates. There's nothing worse than to be a county chair and watch a signature candidate get on the ballot automatically. Mm. And it didn't matter that I even had a convention because nobody went just convention only. That's how it used to be. So I'm watching all these delegates who spent all this time and energy, and I spent all this time and energy to create events for them, only for their voice to just be irrelevant. Neglected. The person bought their way on. Mm -hmm. And so... And, that and, is against our, what our election process should even be. And let me tell you how that affects this race. So there's four Republican candidates running, and I have a lot of respect for all of them. Three of us have decided to go convention only. One is gathering signatures. And, and regardless of, let me tell you how it's playing out in the actual running of the race, right? Um, the one that's gathering signatures knows that 
that person's going to be on the primary ballot. So it shifts their focus into the future, right? They're sort of already running a primary race. They're not, you know, necessarily as engaging with the delegates because they don't, they don't need the delegates, right? Mm -hmm. The other three, and, and, you know, I'm doing it because I love this. I love this kind of communication, this back and forth, this ideas of, you know, exchanging ideas, you know, and I'm going to delegates and saying, this is why I'm your choice. And maybe you don't vote for me. Okay. You know, like I had a very nice fellow at the Tuwila, um, uh, dinner that came up to me and he said, what's your position on Trump? And I said, I endorse him hundred percent. And he handed me my flyer back and said, I can't vote for you. And I said, well, that's great. And we actually had a great conversation for a couple minutes. And then he went on to someone else that he'll, he'll vote for. And that's fine. Right. But we had that conversation. That's what needs to happen is people talking to each other. Right. And that's what you get when you go through the delegate process and those delegates in an ideal system. And I think the, the party is doing a lot of good things to make sure this happens. It's the return and report. Those 4,000 delegates will vote and then hopefully go back to their precincts and say, this is who I voted for. This is who won. This is why I voted for Trent over this person or that person, right? And here's what I think about it. And maybe you care what I think, maybe you don't. But as a delegate, I studied these candidates. I looked them in the eye, right? I know I, you know, I got a sense for this person. I asked them these questions and these were their answers, right? And you I, always, I always report before convention mm-hmm. of who I plan to vote for. And I do this because most people, they, they seem to trust me when they've elected me, but yeah. I give them all the information and then I tell them how I plan to vote. Yeah. And I'm waiting for them to respond. Well, I don't like that. Don't vote that way. And then I'll ask another question. Does everybody else feel this way? Because you will have that one or that too. Mm -hmm. But when it's silent and you've given your report before convention, you can go to convention and feel really good about voting on behalf of your neighbors. And that's what we encourage all the time when we're teaching people how to be delegates. You know, be committed, get ready for your phone to ring off the hook, answer it, go to these events we plan talk to these candidates. We try to get you in front of people at least three times um, before convention. Our convention's on April 19th. So put that in your calendar. We always welcome the state candidates. We invite all state delegates, our central committee and the public to it, along with our our county delegates, of course. But we give speaking time to every candidate running. Our goal is to have an educated populace, which is why Jared and I wanted to do this show because a better educated voter, regardless of their party, if they know exactly who they're backing and why they know their why they're backing yeah. them. I love that. They can I don't have to agree with them, but they study the issue, right? They yeah. know, and they can tell me why they're voting for them. It's not just, well, I saw a billboard. No, that's what human, human nature is about. And that's why by design, they want us at each other's throats Yeah, because it makes us weak. We're stronger when we can argue well, we can disagree. We can hold on to our values and our principles and we can go and vote the way we feel is important. And we can always defend our vote if we have to, but we shouldn't have to. We and each you, know our neighbor has their own issues. And I love the way you phrased it. I'm representing my neighbors, right? Yeah. People that know you, right? Yeah. They've seen you out mowing your lawn, right? <laughs> you know, they know your kids. They know that one of my kids is the is the neighborhood troublemaker, right? Like right. they know you. And, the, and you come back and you say, this is what I did and this is why I did it. That is representative democracy, right? I'll tell right. you a quick story about caucus if I can. My So my son was 16 at the time, my oldest. And I wanted him to see this is how it works. That's how I became a state delegate. My dad took me to one of these, these caucus meetings. Awesome. 
And, and I said, I want you to come. I'm going to run for state delegate. And I got to explain to him what that means and everything. And I said, you're going to come and I want you to, uh, and I kept saying, I want you to see how democracy works. So he came with me and I, I raised my hand. I ran for state delegate and I won. And then they said, okay, who wants to volunteer to run for county delegate? And nobody raised their hand. And he leans in and he goes, come on, dad, show me how democracy works. <laughs> so I said, well, I like to say a representative republic. I get so angry at the word democracy. Because, right. Representative republic, and, right. And that's exactly and so, what you're so doing. You are right. representing your neighbors in this that's room right. who don't have the time nor energy, nor maybe they don't. I tell my husband, this job fills my soul. It right. gives me, it's passion for me. Yeah. I love it. I feel like I'm doing something for my fellow man. Well, and yeah. the pay is terrible, but <laughs> it fills my cup. Right. And so with that, with that being, with that being something that the people who do this job, I think they feel that same way when they ask to be a delegate, when they run, they're doing it with that in mind that I right. absolutely want to represent my neighbors and I want them to trust me when I do. So I'm going to give them all the information I can and I'll go do the dirty work, sit through political meetings all day long. Right. right. Some of well, us love them. It's what's infuriating when you hear this argument of, well, if you only allow people to go through convention, you're only going to get the hard right wingers. And it's like, listen, if people are there representing their neighbors, then you're going to get what you get, right? And if yeah. you don't like that they're more to the right or the left, then run for state delegate and change it yourself. But don't try to demonize and put a label on someone and, and, and make them less than because you put this label on them and say, well, we have to have a different way or it's just going to be the hard, hard right wingers. No, these are people that have gone to represent their neighbors, which means yeah. to me they represent the state. And, and I think they, they actually, I think you're, you're right. The people who attend their caucus, um, they're, they tend to be really well informed on political issues. Mm -hmm. And so calling, they might be called a hard right winger, but the truth is they're just not eating the, the right. BS sandwich every single right. day. Right. They're looking and researching. And so I hope that anyone elects electing delegates will actually question them, find out what they think, find out what their, their core issues are, because right. you can sniff out a hard right winger just as easy as you can sniff out a left wing Republican, which a lot of people don't want either. Right. They want right. someone in the middle who's going to, who's going to get along right. But there's a lot of people who are fed up with the norm. They're tired right. of the norm in government. It's mm -hmm. insanity to keep repeating what doesn't work. Right. And we're watching say, well, our rights disappear. Like, I feel disenfranchised. How do I change it? Go be a state delegate. Go be a county delegate. Right? That's how you At change least it. Go get your voice in front of these people. Right. And right. the thing is, is we, we've watched freedom after freedom after freedom go. All in the name of security. Homeland security this. And TSA this. And it's it's gotten to a point where, I mean, our school boards, now we're domestic terrorists because we're standing up to school boards, which we have right. a meeting next week to go to. Yeah. Well, I don't want to knock the TSA because for like 15 years I was single and I would take a flight every couple months to get a little action. You know what? Our kids grew up in a world where they can't even imagine meeting someone at a gate. <laughs> I grew up meeting people at the gate when they flew in. Oh, was... I, I would meet someone. Okay. <laughs> It's not gay. I get the TSA. blue. I get the blue pen and make that squiggle on my own. Why don't we put the TSA on the border and let them frisk down who's coming from the border, right? And, and you and know, I'm not, afraid they you know, would they're miss not going to bring down any airplanes, right? Like you know, it's just ridiculous what we go through 
but the illegal immigrants are please come in absolutely here's a credit card the USA spend your has money. failed their audit 90 percent almost Dude, every year we could put the border guards on our airports and we'd show up i'd get a new cell phone get a credit right. card right thank you for flying delta here's your hotel I fly ticket, into right? somewhere yeah. they give me a I hotel <laughs> have you guys seen the latest the latest thing that came out um, where they said that if you go to a flight and you're not two hours early to check in, airlines now are giving your flight away to these transports. So your seat's being given away to someone who's not documented so they can get moved to wherever they're going. And one guy called in and he's like, you got to be kidding me. I was an hour early for my flight. I'm sitting there. I go up to get my seat, you know, checked in or whatever. And they told me, oh, sorry, we gave your flight away to who? And then there's this whole group of people that come in. Do they pay him for it? They just bump them. They get a different flight. Mm. But that guy's getting, you paid for that flight for that time. And that guy just got your free ticket, plus a cell phone, plus the check. I mean, American people, even Democrats, aren't sitting back going, yeah, this is fine. Yeah, I think this is fine. I wonder if he can come over and stay in my house and pet my dog, too. Hey, guys, if you're paying attention and you have a question for Trent, call us at 385-899-2134. The number's on the screen. Um, We're going to have to cut him loose pretty soon. So, And we've got to cut our call screener loose in about 30 minutes. Our call screener. Let's we'll cut trend to five. So we've got mm-hmm. about 15 minutes. So if you have a question that he can answer for you, you've been a great interview. I mean, yeah, got more this energy. has been fun. I appreciate that. We were we were in co- like chaos when you jumped on the call just because our internet <laughs> stuff. You rolled with it. But my That's, goodness, yeah, we're roll. I love it. Go. I'm Good. exhausted. And yeah. I've just been <laughs> sitting here. <laughs> But if we have anybody that wants to call in, otherwise we're just going to keep asking him more questions. Tell yeah. us, tell us about your family a little bit more. Your wife is—is is your wife Diana? So I'm divorced. Um, okay. My four kids: 18, 16, 14, and, and 12. My mm. oldest is about to leave on his mission to Argentina. I'm half Argentine. My mother was a legal; she legally immigrated to the United States in 1963. Um, wow. And my dad grew up on a farm in Idaho, right? So it's one of those well, stories. Tell me- where, you know, Best of both How do you feel about Malay? I'm sorry? How do you feel about Malay? The president. Oh, my gosh. I can see on repeat and just, like, listen to it as I sleep. I just love that stuff, right? I, mean, you, yeah, the, I think Trump called him, he's actual MAGA. Make right, our dude, he's, great again. Right. He's the real deal. That guy is awesome. Yeah. Him and uh, what's the guy in uh, – uh, oh, heck. I've got him pulled up somewhere. The other guy down there that was just at CPAC. CPAC, him. Yeah, I know. Gosh, who you're man, about. those two guys. Uh, South America might be on the rise. Well, so you look you at what's know. happening in Argentina. I mean, inflation through the roof. I mean, they're in trouble, right? And and it's it's the people that finally said enough, right? Look, my political background. My grandfather left Argentina because he refused to endorse Eva Perón, and he lost his job. And so oh, my your grandpa wasn't a good fascist. Oh, oh damn. God, it's, it's surprising. He wasn't a Nazi <laughs> and he wasn't a fascist. So he left. Right. They came to America and they were crossing through the Panama Canal the day that Kennedy was shot. And it was broadcast mm. across the ship. And it's the most amazing story because my mom was telling me there was the, the entire ship was filled with people immigrating to the United States, legally immigrating. And these are people that, again, they're not Americans. But the word hit that Kennedy had been shot. And she said it was devastating. 
across I'm the boat. Sure. People are crying. People are because this is the last hope they have, and the president of the last hope they have just got shot. We and were so the shiny, was, shiny hope on the hill that they were all right. coming for. And it's this: I'm going here for freedom. What's happening, right? And it was it was terrifying. And thank you know, thank goodness the the country survived, right? But but that was the the sentiment at the time is we've got to get to America. That's where we can be free. And that's that's sort of my political heritage, right? I come from a father that left everything to come to the United States to live free. Let's face it: your grandfather or father, they came here to pursue freedom. Yeah. Um, and hopefully these immigrants are doing it now because I would like to see freedom loving people who love uh, the Bill of Rights and things like that. I'd love to see them flock here and bolster that. But I'm afraid a lot of them are coming here and saying, send me to New York, send me to Chicago, send me to Atlanta, send me to all these big cities where these cities have declared that they are willing to bankrupt themselves to push their underclass out into the streets right. for my well-being so that they can post themselves up on the world stage and say, see, look how wonderful I am and one my soy latte freedom, is great. And one came for free stuff. Right. And, well, and it's a totally yeah, different it, mentality. You look at the message that Trump first gave when he first was running, right? He got a lot of pushback on what he said oh. about you know, these people aren't good people. There's an article that came out today that compares the violent crime rate of Venezuela to the United States as immigration, just, as the borders just open. And it just went like this. Here's Venezuela and the United States. And it just went, yep. They opened crazy. their prisons right. and sent them away. Right. And when you well, get that girl. influx of military age, single men that are from China and the Middle East, these aren't people that want to come and pledge allegiance to the flag, right? These are people that are coming to harm us, right? And the, that, and girl, that girl in Georgia was killed by a Venezuelan yeah. who had been picked up in New York. And when INS tried to execute a deportation, a judge in New York blocked them from that. He got caught again. Something, no, I don't want to say small, but something nonviolent. Yeah. They had to cut him loose again. And then he got busted again for domestic violence. So we've got three tracks in New York. So then he runs to Georgia, moves in with his brother, and uh, him and his brother get busted in Georgia twice, obviously shoplifting. And uh, I want to say another car related thing. They were driving for Uber Eats or whatever. And then lo and behold, he probably has a couple of beers in him, sees the running park out back, sees a pretty young thing running on it. And uh, the left is trying to kind of blame her that he hit on her and she screamed and made a big deal out of it. So he attacked her because, you know, the left has to stand up for the, of course it's her fault. Right. Yeah. 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 What was she wearing? He, he crushed her head. I want everyone to, to hear this. He crushed her head. Unrecognizable when he was done with it. Well, this is, this is. And the left is standing up for him he should be he should be by now it's been what four days he should be on the end of a rope right now my opinion we need to start making a point of it people who go out and mass abuse and make victims out of people we need to start making a point of it i hate to say it but we need to start levying it that the punishment is so brutal make it quick made it brutal and get it done you know what Instead of 10-year jail terms, 
let's give them one year, but let's make it breaking big rocks into little rocks. Well, isn't that isn't that something that if you're not a citizen, then the Constitution of the United States doesn't. And that's the legal theory. Is why do they why do they get the same rights as as a citizen? They don't. Right. Yeah, they're literally hunting citizens. We're victims of people. And yet if we were to hurt them, we are under the Constitution. And so we are going to have to go through all this drama. The guy that shot the girl in San Francisco all those years ago, he'd been oh. deported, what, seven times? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and found not guilty because mm-hmm. there's this this left-wing ideology that that you have to be good to everyone and Trump's bad. And this guy's, yep. he, he's a victim of his own country. He well, did it on accident. to go fix his own country. That illegal gun was rolled up in a towel. And when he grabbed the he towel, it accidentally it. went off. Yeah, he found, wasn't it? Wasn't it a lost, cartoon world. a lost law enforcement car, uh, pistol or a stolen gun, it's if I remember? stolen gun. And the thing yeah. is, he didn't find it. He stole it. Oh, yeah. He and stole he it or, into a or he purchased it. But no, that's where we're staying. And hey, a race to the bottom is still a race. Oh, you know We what? might win. It, it's like that that old, that old, uh, that old uh, phrase that, you know, uh, if a vegan and uh vegetarian jump off a cliff you know who hits the ground first doesn't matter we all win no who wins (laughs) who wins the race to the bottom we do we do well okay so this is the thing that's bothering me the most is i always ask myself if 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 a group of people were trying to ruin america what would they do different Uh, than what they're doing right now uh, They're doing, I mean, they would probably. Oh, I just lost you. I don't hear you. Who? Oh, we lost your sound over there. Yeah. Can you hear us? He can hear us. We can't hear you. Well, anyways, while he, uh, we'll have you reset and jump back in. But, you know, I would say if I was trying to destroy a country, I would, one, take over the colleges and make them all dye your child's you, hair purple and green. What would you do green. different? Because they've already done all that. I would, yeah. Log, go ahead and log out and log back in. Your your audio might come back. Yeah, yeah I would. those are all the things that I would do exactly this. I would even go so far as to say I would find a controllable, blithering old man and put him in power, put him in charge. And you would mess with the with the military to make them no longer a solid group, but they have to be individuals. And then you would make it just a mess. You would defund it. All right, Trent, let's try your sound now. Let me do this. How about that? Yep, we can hear you. Except for the Marine Corps. You're talking about military. I mean, look at how many members of the military were fired because they wouldn't take the vaccine, right? Did you watch the trial with the guy from Homeland Security that – and he was straight at, called out. Who was it by Matt, Matt from Florida? Yeah, He's like, yeah. oh, so you're asking forgiveness from us because you made a mistake and it's personal and it's your health care and blah, blah, blah. And you want permission from us. And yet 8,000 people got dishonorably discharged because they wouldn't take a vaccine because of religious reasons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why are you giving them their jobs back? Right. Give right. them the same, the same mercy 
that you've been shown in right. your ridiculousness. And he said, right. no, I will not do that. Well, of course you won't because you're right. pompous mm-hmm. ass. What's good for thee, but not for me. That's well, the Mayorkas government. Like Mayorkas gets impeached, right? It's a, it's a purposeful, tactical, uh, systematic approach to undermining the fabric of our society, right? You overwhelm the system. So the system eventually collapses, right? Right. You overwhelm it with illegal immigration. You overwhelm it with, you know, uh, supposed diseases. You overwhelm the financial system, right? And so eventually it all crumbles. And and untreated mental illness. You have untreated mental illness. No, nothing for the mentally ill. And then you terrify them with climate change at a very young, young age. Then you tell them, oh, by the way, if you just paid more money and lived with less, we can fix the weather. Right. right. This is insanity. <laughs> and then we will turn on neighbors. Neighbors will turn on neighbors over political issues. And yet that's the whole goal. The whole because goal. that's when they win. Because you'll need the government to get you out of it. A government mm-hmm. that is too tyrannical at that point. And the right. Constitution doesn't have, doesn't have the same weight. And you can't fight back because you can't own an automatic rifle. Our military can, but you can't right. because we decided the duck that that the Constitution is wrong. Well, I'm sorry. Right. You should be able to own a nuke. Right. If the military can own one, so should you, according to that document. You Not know, that they, I want you all own a nukes, but what I'm saying is they're put so many restrictions on the United States, our freest country. If you put us in a list of countries of the most free, I think America is very, very far down that list. Well, and Utah is pretty far down the list of actual political corruption, right? And, and to get to your point on the Second Amendment, people say, well, you don't need a semi-automatic rifle to go hunting. No, I don't want it to go hunting. I want it to protect me from the government. That's why I want it. That's and why I don't need to tell you anything. Yeah, the First Amendment exists to protect me from the government. The Second Amendment exists to protect me from the government and down the line. They all mm-hmm. exist to protect me from the government. Right. And, it, and as soon as you get away from that, then you're giving the government power just the same way that Congress has abdicated its role and given all of the power to these regulatory agencies. Congress doesn't even look at what they do. They run a, an administrative state that you can't fight against because it's just a complete labyrinth of bureaucracy and Congress is nowhere to be found. Right. So we've ceded our power to the administrative state. We've ceded our power in all these different ways. Right. The, the states are ceding power to the federal government. They need an AG that's going to stand up for them. And that's why I want to be in this race. But but, you know, I think that's the point of view that people need to have. It's 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 not us against our neighbors. It's us against those that want control over our lives. Right. Yes. And that's not your neighbor, even if they disagree with you. It's the people that are making laws that curtail your freedom because they want the control over your life. Well, and that's absolute. I mean, that's a great way to end that because you want a job where you're going to protect, you're going to protect my constitutional rights, just like our sheriff has to protect our constitutional rights. And that's the job that everyone's supposed to take. But something happens. Something happens when people get elected. I don't know if you go through this veil of. <laughs> of it's a brooder film. It's it's uh, what are they like villain veil or something. But all of a sudden, I mean, Congress does nothing about it because they're constantly trying to run for their office and keep their right. seat. And, or they, get in and they, they have no personal wealth and they get out and they're millionaires. How does that happen? Good I mean, for them. Well, for I me. mean, it's mm. good for you to for me to do yeah. it, but not you. You can't do insider trading. You that is frowned. What's upon. that cookie lady's name? The lady. Martha that, Stewart. Yeah. Martha Stewart. Yeah. How's she doing today? Lady. 
Right. She used to hang out with Snoop Dogg okay. now, though, so I guess she's okay. Yeah, I think she's yeah. You know what the crazy thing fine. is? I'll bet Martha Stewart would vote for Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. Even I bet that- in a heartbeat she would say, I went to jail for what you do. Mm-hmm. I don't know that she would. I've, I've seen interviews with her where she's like, it's absolutely... It's two-sided. It's a two-tier justice system. Yeah, her her and Snoop Dogg are hey, all in it together. Here's it. The, here's the thing. We cannot have two tiers of justice in this right. country. With our justice right. system gone, we are lost. Mm-hmm. And if if we can't get it together, I think we have a great AG's office right now. That's just me. I think having a new AG in there, I hope, will continue the good that is that has been started there with the mental health awareness, with the child sex trafficking awareness. Um, and, and if you need more money to create a, a victim's advocate type uh, department, hell, if it's just one, one person who looks over this victim's situation, because I have friends who feel like they were lost. They couldn't go to their sheriff. They couldn't go to the prosecutor. And the AG's office is like, look, it's not our jurisdiction. We don't know how to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, there would be, it would be nice for me to be able to say, you know what? There's an office at the AGs that you go in there and tell them what your case is. They'll contact the prosecutor. They'll contact the investigators and they'll get back to you and either tell you what they can do to help you or tell you why they can't. But right. people are sitting out there just victimized right. and they don't know what to do. I, yeah. I know firsthand what it feels like. Yeah, I, I know a lady that has a stalker that the police were on her side, everything else. But when it got before the judge, the judge kicks them loose. The stalkers back out on the street. The same night after a possible, assaulting police officers. A possible threat that same day. The stalker went to her house, acted kooky at the house. The police buster at the neighbor's house doing the old uh, Homer Simpson hiding in a bush. Mm-hmm. The, then she gets violent with the police. They holler in. The judge kicks her loose. How, how is this rational? How is this? Uh, is it that the jails were too full? They couldn't hold her? Or, or did, the, did the judge have it a It wasn't about the jail because the brunch bill was only $669. Scheduled and, yeah. How, how does this? It's it, We're missing something here. Well, and it gets back to a point that I was making. If you don't have oversight, if there's no consequences for your actions... If no one's looking at that judge's caseload over the course of their career as a judge, I mean, judges can get away with a lot and they can just, it's their own fiefdom. Like, this is how it's going to be. Sorry, you know, family court, you know, criminal court. Hey, this is what I think, right? I know the law says this, but I'm going to do this. You want to appeal it? Fine. Do be my guest, right? That's true. And there's no punishment for an appeal that is successful. Family courts have been have been a runaway nightmare for 30 years now. Yeah. yeah. Family courts have been, have been a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not doing it as, a- but, but again, you have to be willing to institute some judicial reforms along with, yeah. along with prosecutorial reforms and the political reforms in the office, right? It's just a lot across the board that you have to be willing to stand up and say, this is what needs to happen. And you're going to get flagged from all sides, Right. You'll, you'll be told that, well, you're not, you know, you're not standing up for women's rights. You're not standing up for dad's rights. You're not like, it's just what works and what doesn't in our system. 
and having recourse for people to go and say, at least to your point, Holly, at least somebody told me what was going on. I now know what my what my options are and what I can do. And if even if I don't have the money to go hire a lawyer, I know what my options are. Right. Right yeah. now, we're just leaving people high and dry and like, I get it. You're in danger. Your stalker's back on the street. Good luck. Yeah. And yeah. at least if you could say, you know, here's been the Constitution. Why for a different case? This is why the prosecutor did this. This mm -hmm. is why we're not helping. Here's what we can do. I, I get it. I think, though, when you keep saying all these, you know, judicial reform and prosecutor reform and criminal justice reform, this is a whole lot. And I would love to see someone take it on. I would love to see someone get legislators fire on this because I want legislators to feel from people that, that we're done with this two-tier justice system. What happened in Salt Lake city in 2020 should, yeah. it never could have happened out here because right. when they had the BLM March out here, every armed citizen in this County was lining in front of the businesses with their guns, watching this parade and saying, Hey, have a good parade. Hey, really yeah. great. Welcome to our town. <laughs> but they knew right away. Right. No one is going to get out of line when you have a populace who is who believes in the Constitution and a sheriff that protects it and right. and a council that protects it. And this is where we get down to an AG that is going to say, we got your back. All of right. you. All of you. You protesters, stay in line. Don't violate these people's rights. We'll have right. your back. You right. gun owners, stay in line. Don't violate their rights. We have your back. And sheriff, I have your back. If you... If you need anything, and that's, that's the beauty of a community need. like Tooele, where you can like the people know each other, right? And you've built that trust over time, right? And that's the trust that that needs to be restored between you know city, local, county, and state agencies to say every we've got each other's back. Stay in your lane, everybody. Like I got your back. The state AG has you. I got you, right? And that's the message that they, that they need to understand. The county sheriffs need to understand. I got you, right? You've got an advocate in this office. We're going to follow the laws, right? But that's the beauty of, you know, in Tooele, people just know each other. It's easy to, to build and maintain that trust, but you need to have an AG whose top priority is justice, and justice only happens through trust. It's the only way you get there. It's so true. And again, it's going to be funding. Um, counties like ours need funding for those people with mental illness, those people with mm -hmm. drug addiction. We need to figure out, I know that's not the AG's job, but we need to have Mental illness needs to get addressed in this country and fast. The last few shootings have been done in schools and stuff, mentally ill young people. And we've got to address it and we've got to go, maybe go back to having institutions, mental institutions. You also want to hear another hard part. This is something that not many people are talking about. And uh, this is going to sound idiosyncratic, but we've got to quit sending people with a slight depression to get mass therapy to dwell on their issue because it's proving that constantly dwelling on that depression makes it worse. Yeah. Well, and the studies have come out. They're out now. You can't, we, this is what we've been doing. Oh, you've got a slight depression because you know, your chair has a squeaky wheel at work, go to therapy. We've got to quit doing that, especially with these little boys and girls that go to school 
and the purple-haired teacher that graduated last month that couldn't find their ass with both hands if it was in their back pockets is teaching them that, you know, oh, you come out as whatever in the first grade, let's have a parade, is messing them up. Don't follow that up with therapy because the the constant dwelling on these minor things, if they've got a for real thing, that's for real. Right. You know, if they have a real mental issue, you know, bipolar, schizophrenia, one of those, but the depression, it's being proven that if you keep sending them to therapy to dwell on that, it exacerbates it. Well, because there's money made in it. Because, yeah, they don't want to, they don't want to see the person with a real issue. Some depression medications actually cause more depression and suicidal thoughts big pharma doesn't what what we don't we do not okay we asperge the good name of big pharma on this podcast you watch your mouth right hey trent give us your give us a closing statement we've really had a lot of fun yeah this has been a good job i did not expect this day to end as well as it did we were having a big problem (laughs) and i thought this has been a lot of fun you're yeah. very upbeat and you've got a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. I'm exhausted. I'm excited about this. Well, let me finish with a quick story, if I could. I So I mentioned early on in the interview, I'm general counsel for a tech firm. We do predictive AI with the military. And the chairman of my board of directors is a retired four-star general. His name is General Lance W. Lord. He was the first commander of the U.S. Space Command under Trump. He went up through the Air Force, earned his fourth star, and then Trump put him in charge of Space Command. Awesome. And so he's the yeah. guy off of the office in that show, that guy. That's, 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 that's exactly okay. right. When you're in his presence. It's a little bit more uh, daunting, I'd say. Yeah, he, he very oh, much sure. across as a four-star general. And, you know, I went to them because I said, he's a mentor of mine. But at the same time, I wanted his blessing, right? I was going to potentially be leaving this job to go do this job. And I, I just wanted to talk to him about it. And I, I started, I kind of launched in like, this is why it's important. And these are my issues. And he just said, stop, Trent. He said, you, you prepare for war, but you don't know when it comes. And when it comes, you fight and you fight to win. And when you're done, you come back. And whether that's, and I, I tried to explain to him the deadlines. He's like, I don't care. April, June, November, four years, eight years, you fight until you win. And then you come back and you're going to have a seat here at this table when you come back. And what it told mm. me is, is they got me. And that's what I want to be for the people of Utah. I got you. Like I got people that got my back. Right. And it, you know, People have said to me all the time, are you ready for the fight that'll come when you want to audit the electoral system? Are you ready for the fight that'll come when you fight the feds? And yeah, because people got my back. And that's So he's one of those pre-milly generals. I, I really like, like it. Him Instead of him saying, I've been studying Karl Marx and trying to understand why hatred today. Right. Was right. he wearing a dress when yes. he no, said this? No, he was not. I no. love him. Yeah, you would love that's, him. He's great. That's our admiral that wears a dress, our right. surgeon right. admiral. Well, there you have it. General oh. Lance Lord, you know, letting me know, you know, oh, we got your back. I love it. I love it. And that's a great way to, you know what? That's a great that's way a, for every single person to wake up in the morning and say that to themselves that they, yeah. if they've got a support group, you know what? Every day is a fight. And when right. it comes, it comes. Some days are going to be easier than others, but tomorrow's right. always a new day. When you have someone that supports you and has your back, it's so easy that's to have right. other people's. That's right. That's right. And that's what we need to be. I mean, we talk about everything that's happening in our country. Just have your neighbors back. Don't be yeah. a state right? Have your kids back. Have your spouses back, right? And, Even the and one that gets in trouble back. with the law. Yes, right. <laughs> That's right. 
Well, I, I well, really appreciate that time. Thank you. Hey, thank you. And You're sometimes having your kids back is putting a boot to that back. Yes. <laughs> and making it be That's how my dad saw it. So, yeah, I, I, yeah that was uh, – yeah, I, I agree. That's funny. It's well, true. Trent, you. this was great. Everyone, uh, trentchristiansen.org. That's a Christiansen. Dot com. Or dot com, sorry. That's a S-E-N-T-R-E-N-T. Yep. C-H-R-I-S-T-E-N. I better. L-M-N-O-P. You nailed it. You're so close. Dwayne said to say what a great interview. Thank you, Yes. Appreciate it. I'm gonna, but I'm gonna flash it. I've got it pulled up here. Where's it at? There it is. I'm gonna flash it on the screen uh, one last time before we. Are your kids excited about this run? Yeah, I bet they they're just bored, rolling their eyes, like, oh, they're <laughs> that <laughs> age. They love it. They love that I'm doing something that I love. And they Good. Can see that. Like, this is important to you, Dad. I get that, and I love that for you, right? And you keep know, me out of it. <laughs> Exactly. I don't want to go to your political meetings, but just good yeah. luck with that stuff, Dad. Yeah, I've got yeah. one of those kids that's like, I I'm not going to your meetings, and another one's like, oh, no. he came to Tooele with me. My my yeah. uh, my oldest, he came. He he loves it. He loves being a part of it. He loves seeing people that care enough about their community to come out to things like this. So yeah, yeah. my son is the same. My daughter, not so much. My right, son, right. he loves it. As you they know? as they start getting older and and start wanting to know what's going on in the world around them. And let's face it, they're going to be left running that world. And I just thank the good Lord every day that um, I am going to be left with the uh, purple-haired uh, nitwits um, taking okay, care of me. He's an atheist, so that's a funny <laughs> sentence coming from him. But, yeah. I uh, just feel blessed that – that. Uh, that uh what's that girl from sweden the the girl that quit going to school her eyes are a little too far apart makes you wonder uh greta thunberg and david hogg those guys those guys are gonna take care of me when i'm old right and you know you leave them with a good legacy we show them how to do the work and they'll they'll make us proud I don't Jared know. always says, though, bad times create strong, strong men, men and right. weak times or good times create weak men. And we're we've gone through the and good we times. Have weak but men. there are two places being born right now. Mm. I'm just yeah. going to have to hop a fence and go to either El Salvador or Argentina and see what <laughs> freedom and prosperity looks like. Yeah, we could just reelect Trump. I think that would fix a lot of this. Yeah. So I hope yeah. so. I hope yeah. so. Um Thank you so much for I being th- on the yes. show. Today. I think the shakeup we need is bigger than one man. Well, I, I think hope you're right. trying to start a new conversation as we're saying yes. goodbye. All right, we got to go. <laughs> Remember, Ken Burns may do a documentary about this time right. one day. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you hey, so much. Thank you, Trent. Have a good one. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. Bye.